0: Look who's here! Who used to what, what relative? Used Uncle to say? is. <laughs> I love that.
1: When he lost his marbles and oh, he didn't
0: know it's marble. That's a little <laughs> crass. Yeah.
1: Okay. I take it back. I loved Uncle Liz. Sure. He was my great. Uncle, not my just my uncle. Okay. My he's my dad's uncle. Oh wow, that's cool. You got to yeah. meet him though. You know, you don't oh yeah, to you know, he looked like uh, 146 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and when he turned 123, he didn't know any of our names. Anymore. Yeah, so he'd say, "Look who's yeah, here!" So sweet. I just think it's the you love that story. story. I love. I don't it. even know why you love that story because part of him's
0: aware of it in a way. You know, he's not he's not completely out of it because he understands he doesn't yeah. that he doesn't know people's names and he tries yeah. to hide it. I just think it's sweet. I think it's cute. Should I not have said loss marbles? <laughs> I don't know. He's your great uncle, not mine. You tell me. I'm cool with oh, it. Oh, <laughs> boy. I
1: Episode 180. So you're back from Arizona, and I'm back from Florida. Did you go to Arizona on vacation to see, like, family? Or did you go to Arizona for, like, girls basketball?
0: Went to or Arizona. Both? Well, it was a little of both, but mainly for the girls basketball tournament. Oh. It's called, like, the All-American Tournament or something like she that. She plays time. in this every year? Yeah, the past couple of years. Okay. Yeah, and
1: just you and her, or the whole crew.
0: Me, mom, and her. Ah. Because Megan's- made a vacation out of it. Because Grandpa lives there, so she always oh, sure. she wants to see her dad. I saw and my sister, sister and yeah. my nephew. How's my your sister
1: doing? She's great. Lots of tattoos, you know. Still, still cooking. But still how's your work. family doing? I know you lost. I know you lost your dad not too long.
0: Yeah, we're we're yeah. hanging. I, I think yeah. my sister might she be going right? through a bit of a midlife. She, she turned fifty. We lost oh, our
2: dad, boy. and it's
0: on now. Oh boy! <laughs> I don't know Tell what's
2: going to gonna... call me. <laughs> yeah i've true. got some
1: people for her to talk to tell her to call me god knows what's gonna happen but, but you had a good time and they won the tournament i saw the pictures they right? did win it yes. yes
0: they were down by nine and zach half. levine's
1: crew that's right
0: he was playing in the uh, all-star game that same weekend right oh i thought he came and he played with them <laughs> they could have used him they were down nine and <laughs> half in the championship oh came, came back, back to win it pretty exciting yeah i saw my first fist fight in the stands of another game Ooh, I, like I saw parents going at it. Oh, I saw kids punching each other oh. on the court. I saw fans coming down. Mom had to be restrained. Guy,
1: you didn't see Mark McLaughlin come no, down to deck a deck. <laughs> I was looking for him, official, but no, did I you? didn't see him.
0: And then we drove from Arizona to uh, to Anaheim on Wednesday. You drove from Arizona to Anaheim to go to Disney? Disneyland, California Adventure, and then wow. Disneyland. Yeah,
1: Had she ever been?
0: Yeah, but it's her birthday. February 16th is her birthday, so oh, this was kind of happy her present. birthday. This was nice. Yeah, pretty. I mean, six hours with, you know, the father-in-law going two under the limit. The oh, the
1: father-in-law? <laughs> the father-in-law came with.
0: Yeah, he lives in Arizona. And Four so, of you. Four of us on the car, yes, for six hours. For how long did Disney... Uh, we did Disney Wednesday. We did California Adventure Thursday. Beautiful. You stay right on the premises. Or you stay off the. I mean, uh, you know everything's close. You know it's a ten dollar Uber.
1: No. Oh, so you didn't stay like a like one of the fancy schmancy no. Disney hotels? No, no. Where you get into the park an, an hour, hour early? early. Oh, oh, forget it. I mean, it's the you greatest race thing ever. To your favorite <laughs> ride. You ride it as many times as you can. That's right. No, we didn't. Yeah, we're not. We're not
0: that. We're we're midfalutin. We're not highfalutin. So who liked it more, you or Piper? Well, I'm officially Disneyed out. I'm good. I think for a while. I'm done. Yeah, I, think, I haven't been in years. I'm done. If I'm if I'm alive when Piper has her own kids, I yeah. could be talked into it. Maybe at that point. Maybe. I think I'm done with Disneyland. And I don't get me wrong. I'm not anti. I, I just I think I'm done. The the constant nickel and diming of going away, it drove wow. me. And forget the food prices in in the park. Like they got you by the short hairs. Like you can't complain about that. Just not, everything in my life was, we, we, we get to Anaheim, it's two o'clock. I was like, we're here to check in, we got our room, it's paid for, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Well, you can't officially check in till four, but if you want to check in early, it's 25 extra dollars. What are you going to do, right? Just sit on the, sit in the lobby for two hours with, <laughs> with Disneyland a half a mile away? I mean, God, just nonstop. How are the lines?
1: Brutal absolutely oh, yeah. brutal and and it's a new what thing. was the longest line you set did you do the quick passes where you get times to be back you go you come back be back at 3 30 go to the special line did you do all that okay it's called the lightning lane now it's not called fast pass not like fast was. pass
0: so lightning lane yes lightning lane is awesome if you go you have to just it's all in the app you got you have to just book it it's great and they yeah. they, they take pretty good care of you now, the Cars ride at California Adventure, is, uh, it's just an incredible ride for yeah. adults and kids. It's yeah. amazing. I go to Lightning Lane that one. It's $13 extra a person if you want a Lightning Lane it. Oh. So a park I already paid to get into. Now you got... <laughs> where all the rides are free once you get in, except for this one. Although, you don't have to pay. You're welcome to wait two and a half hours for free, Right. And I got grandpa. So did now, you go
1: on the Toy Story ride at California Adventure where you're shooting things? No, we we stayed away. That was a damn good ride. Is it? That's the one that we rent when the we were fancy schmancy staying at one of the hotels. Oh yeah, that's so great. we so we did the whole hour early. Yeah, yeah. And the kids, that's where they wanted to go. They wanted. To, is the it boys good were, though? Oh, at the time, I mean, this is probably 15 years okay, ago. Yeah, well, it was not like, 15
0: years ago. It was always like ago. an hour wait, and I I just didn't think it was oh, worth loved that.
1: It. Yeah, you're shooting all kinds of things. But yeah. are you a coaster guy? Did you like the Incredico? Coaster or was it called? No, no we coasters. No, we didn't do it. Oh, see,
0: we, we this is part of the reason why I think I'm I'm Disneyed out because i'm they have like three or four really good rides. I went on the the new Star Wars ride at Disneyland. Forget it. Really? I mean, we waited 85 minutes. Is that long? I think it, I wouldn't wait two minutes for anything in my life. <laughs> there was a time I used to wait in line for concert tickets. I went mean, nothing. I'll wait five minutes for now. I don't give a shit about anything. 85 minutes in this freaking line. And it is, shockingly was worth it. The new is it, a, is it
1: an intense ride or is it a lot? I like it's a small world.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, then you
1: probably should I don't keep need going anything where I'm going to have a heart attack on there. Where I can't see what's going yeah. on or drops are going. I, I don't need any of that. Is it a is it like a high intensity? No, those with a heart condition should not be on this ride type of ride. Or no, or it,
0: it, it legit feels like you're in the movie. It's, oh, really? It's incredible. I, I don't oh, well, want to give it away. Well, that's cool. It, I can't believe how much they must have spent on this ride. You feel like you're a prisoner and you've been captured by Darth Vader's really? crew. And it's not
1: scary. It's not intense. It's I mean, not, it's,
0: no, it's not no, no, no. sudden. There's nothing sudden about it. There was one drop when you dropped to take off to fly into space. It, it was awesome. Okay. But it's not, you know. Okay. It's just... For real Star Wars fans, it's like their Graceland.
1: And this is in California? The, this or this the, is in Disneyland. That's
0: in Disneyland. It's okay. brand new. And they had a Millennium Did Ride. Did you do all the, Ca- ride the and
1: California and, thing where you you, you, uh, you uh, float over California? Oh, yeah. You do all that? Yeah, it's called Soaring Over the World. Soaring o- Over. It the was world? Soaring Over
0: California. Oh, now know, it's, yeah. the, oh, the Eiffel Tower's
1: coming at you. Did you eat anything good? Nothing good. You Tasting pay through the or nose. for you. <laughs> Which one? Either. Was anything good? Do you have any good food at, at these amusement parks? There's no, no good food at these amusement parks. No, and so it's
0: expensive. There probably is good food, but you have to book reservations for the restaurant
1: way in advance.
0: Way in advance. Like
1: months in advance.
0: Yes, yeah. like probably eight months. Yeah. Like the Blue Bayou restaurant at Disneyland, that's the restaurant you see on Pirates of the Caribbean. You see people eating up there and yeah, all that. Yeah. Forget it. Like, no, I, <laughs> dinner one night for me and Piper was a corn dog and a half. And <laughs> we just did F it and walked home. Like, that's it. There
1: was no line. Let's get a corn dog and we'll uh, call it a dinner. And the father in law likes this. Yeah, he, he, he hung with you the whole time. He left a little early.
0: Okay, you know he's in like seventy three or yeah. so. You know he's back. And mom likes he, this. Oh, mom likes it. She doesn't love scary rides, but yeah, she I don't she went on everything. Too. And it, again, Disney and California Adventure, they don't have insanely scary. They have a couple like the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. My wife loves, and that that one scared the crap out of me because it's big drops and it pulls you. Oh, up I don't and, need
1: that. You didn't get on the elevator that, 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 that falls like 100 floors.
0: Well, that's kind of what the Guardians ride is now. It's, it used to be called the Tower
1: of Terror. That's right. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of.
0: Yeah, they changed it to Guardians of the oh, Galaxy. Oh, that's,
1: that's the one.
0: It's You feel like you your stomach's in your no, throat.
1: No, I'm not going on that. It's pretty fun. No, it's
0: not fun. Now, I got to say that... This not fun. S- the most scared I was the entire amusement park was something called Goofy's Flying School or something. No. It's like an old four-person cart rickety... This thing, I can't believe it's still running. Like the, the, the Incredicoaster goes like 80 miles an hour, and I'm not scared. This thing, oh. you go straight to the edge, and
1: then the sharp corner. Who knew I just we were getting a review of Disneyland and oh, California Adventure God. Nonce. episode 180? The churros, you know, you oh. four churros, like $84. Oh. <laughs> it just never so, ends. So you fly to Arizona, you drive to Anaheim, and then you fly from Anaheim back. We yeah, we
0: flew from uh, John Wayne
1: back. Back to.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well. it, 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 a remote didn't work one night. The guy comes up, hands me a new remote. My wife's like, "What? Well, did you tip the guy?" And by then I had just had enough. Remote in the hotel room, the remote control didn't oh. work. He hands me a new I I have a 20 and I have two ones. <laughs> I'm not giving him a 20 for pulling a remote out of his pocket. And two ones is like insulting. I just had had enough. Was he dressed as goofy? <laughs> we, we, we don't even get anything out of it. It should have worked to begin oh, with. Oh, man. We, we get on the plane home. I just had had enough. My wife has to order a champagne, you know. Yes. Piper forgot her headphones. So now she's yes. buying the, uh, the Delta Airlines headphones. Stop. Everyone stop. You better add a few more podcasts oh, to your God, audio. Quit spending money, everybody. Oh, but no, man. it was it was fun. It's just the, the the nickel and dime aspect of it is just brutal brutal
1: i have to make a quick
0: i've been wanting to do this for a week yes i know we got plenty to get to
1: yes i haven't even said subscribe to mitch unfiltered (laughs) everywhere where podcasts are found episode 180 maybe a rating and review if you have a minute that would be good a five-star rating and what you like about uh the podcast that really helps yep. on uh, apple podcasts you can become a mitch unfiltered patron for five dollars a month at Mitchunfiltered.com. you get all the extra shows each week the danny o'neill show the slick hawk show your music shows we'll resume that this week and if you can't afford the five dollars or you shouldn't be spending the five dollars for any reason just write me an email mitch at mitchunfiltered.com and i'll make sure that you get it yes Anyway, so you wanted to say I have some other stuff. But I you just have, you have to correct, to cor- correct, correct the re- something. I've been waiting a week to did say I this. Do, oh, I, I do something wrong. I don't. No, no. I, oh. I,
0: I did something wrong. Okay. We were talking about Eddie Grant, the Electric Avenue guy. He had a commercial on Electric the Super Bowl. Electric Avenue. Yeah. Yes. I said he's a one-hit wonder, and I forgot he had another song. And I don't he want to sully the good man's name. Okay. The song was featured in a 1984 Robert Zemeckis film starring Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito, titled. Romancing the Stone. Yeah. He is the guy that did the theme to that song. And this has been bothering you? Yes. Nobody
1: even knows that you said that. It hit number 26 in the U.S. He <laughs> no, had The guy
0: had two hits. I don't want to call him a one-hit wonder. There you go. Now I can move on with my life. Thank you.
1: But he didn't do enough hits for you to do a musical <laughs> retrospective. I on, think I just did it. On his life. I think I just did it. I think it's over. Episode 180. Before we begin, this is the tease section of the show, and I'll tell you who the guests are in a second. But I wanted to tell you a story that's right out of your playbook. Right. Really? Da- oh yeah. I when I read this story, first of all, I don't think you know it. You might. If you don't know it, it just I, I it reeked of hotshot Scott. It's okay. not music, it's sports, but it reeked of hotshot Scott, okay? In 1984, a guy by the name of Mike Cole, okay, which makes him, I guess, a year older than me, all right? A guy by the name of Mike Cole graduated from high school in the Washington, D.C. area, and he was admitted to Northwestern University. Okay, Do you know where Northwestern University is? Sure, my wife almost went there. Okay, outside of Chicago? Cold in the winters, yes. Very, very fine college, fine university. Yep. Northwestern University. He was 18 years old in 1984. He left the Washington, D.C. area, and he went to become a student at Northwestern University. He was, at age 18, a lifelong Washington Bullets fan, as you might imagine, being from D.C. When he was a a freshman at Northwestern, he was about four weeks into his first year. He had just moved there when his dad saw that the Bullets were actually opening up the 84 season in Chicago against the Bulls. There you go. So he thought, hey, you know what I'll do for my son? I'll get him a couple tickets to go see that game. Okay. He got him a couple of tickets, and he sent his son two tickets to see the Bulls and Bullets open up the 1984 season in Chicago, which is a stone throw from Northwestern. Okay. Mike Cole, age 18, asked his new colleagues, his new student friends, and nobody wanted to go or nobody could go. <laughs> okay, So he decided to go by himself. He went by himself Aww. and he put the other ticket away. He went by himself and he enjoyed the game. It's the first Bulls game he had ever been to. Okay. He enjoyed the game. And he put the ticket that he didn't use away. Gotcha. That was the first game that Michael Jordan never played for the Chicago Bulls. Wow. Which makes the ticket that he put away because nobody would go with him yeah. and it never got ripped or whatever you call what a ticket does. Yeah, you used, in to, used days. to rip it or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. It became the only known ticket, oh my unused gosh. ticket to the debut game of Michael Jordan, which he sold on Sunday <laughs> this past weekend. Yeah. He auctioned off for $468,000, the most expensive ticket stub in the history of ticket stubs. What's dad's cut of this ticket? Is dad Dad still with us? Dad is gone. Oh my gosh. This guy now is like, he's like an admissions counselor at a college in Connecticut, I believe. Okay. And he's had this ticket all these years. He stuffed it away and then he moved. He's moved five times or eight times. Yeah, yeah. He's put it in this bag and that bag and... Unreal. Just because, All because nobody wanted to go with him <laughs> to right. the game or wanted to take <laughs> the time yeah. to go see the Bullets and the Bulls. Had he
0: found a girlfriend in the first four weeks of college, he would not have that extra half a million dollars. That's right.
1: That's right. He sold it on Sunday for $468,000, which made it the highest priced ticket stub. Okay. In the history of ticket stubs. And
0: it's not even a stub, actually.
1: It's not a stub, yeah. sorry. A full ticket. It It eclipses the mark. This, a ticket from the same game many years ago was auctioned off for $264,000. So this got 468 on Sunday. Wow. You just you unwitting, you unknowingly crapped on one of
0: my Michael Jordan memorabilia stories for the other stuff segment. Really? It's well, not well,
1: even close uh, to being
0: as good as yours. I'm not done yet. There's a <laughs> oh, PSO story. Okay. So at
1: 468,000, this broke the all-time record. Yeah. And it held the record for 90 seconds because at the same time as his ticket – was being auctioned off for four hundred sixty-eight thousand. Yeah, a Jackie Robinson debut ticket from nineteen forty-seven oh no. <laughs> went for four hundred eighty thousand dollars. So he now has the second
0: highest. Well, not too shabby. No. I, I wouldn't okay cry over so. being second place in that contest. And
1: I don't know why, but I read that story. You, you're you into the memorabilia sure, thing. I love it. Yeah, it's Here's a guy who just wanted somebody to go with him yeah. to the game, yeah, yeah. and nobody wanted to go with him, so he went by himself, and it ended up being the greatest lonely night in the history of the NBA.
0: Now, this is way better than the half-smoked cigar (laughs) that's up for auction by Michael Jordan for $500. Yes. This does not, the half-smoked cigar doesn't come close to this story. No. This would have been great for you in college. There's no way you would have had a girlfriend or any friends in the first four weeks. So This could have
1: totally happened to you. Four weeks? How about four years? (laughs) That's true. Guests on this episode 180, Steve Phillips, the former Mets general manager on the Major League Baseball work stoppage. It looks like opening day is going to be pushed back and we're going to start losing games now because the owners and players can't get together on a new collective bargaining (sighs) agreement. So our buddy Steve Phillips is going to come on and tell us why. What the problem is, what the hang up is, and he's going to also talk a little Mariners baseball. Robbie Ray, oh, yeah, you know, Chris Bryant. Should they go out and sign Chris Bryant? Steve Phillips will be guest number one on episode 180.
0: I finally saw a place called Wrigleyville West, and I'm shocked that it took me forever to realize that Wrigleyville West is, in Mesa, Arizona
1: is oh, yeah, of course, of course, but having <laughs> training home. I've had these reservations for like three months,
0: you know, something something hotel at Wrigleyville West. I was like, oh, it's kind of a cool name, sort of like the Cubs. Didn't (laughs) I think I had to turn on Cubs Way when we were pulling up for me to go, oh, yeah, that's probably where the Cubs play. What a beautiful facility. I saw people walking around with Cubs. There was some activity going on. Sharp as a bowling ball. (laughs) It took me forever to figure that out. Sheffield Way? Oh, yeah, that's probably
3: where the Cubs
1: play. (laughs) Anyway, Wrigleyville West was gorgeous. Dr. John Osborne is guest number two. He's the Dallas cardiologist who was with us a year ago. Do you remember that? I remember
0: laying in Arizona in the yes. spare bedroom of my, my father in law's.
1: Yes. Hearing him say hot and sweaty for hot 30 sweaty. minutes. I mentioned that in this interview. You did, okay. That my partner, all he remembers from your first interview is yeah, yeah. you saying hot and sweaty all the time. But he laughed, he giggled. You probably didn't ask if
0: I can do the 30 minutes like for five times in one day and then be good for the week. I don't Does it work that way? Or is it, do you have to spread them out?
1: minutes over the, over the course of a week. You can do them all in one You can. Day. Okay. That's good. I to know. give you permission. Thank you so much. Well, this Dr. John Osborne, he was very good. He was on a year ago in February for heart month, heart yeah. to health month. And uh, he told us about a number of different things that we should be watching out for in terms of, Uh, cardiovascular health. I got a number of different emails and reaction to that segment a year ago. I remembered. So we put him back on good. He's on this. He makes his uh, his return to Mitch unfiltered on this episode 180. And I think it's a very important 22 minutes. He was great last time. If you are a 30, a 35, a 40, a 45, a 50, a 55, a 60 year old man, especially male, especially just take 20 minutes and listen to this. Listen to his, the way he talks about high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Listen to how he talks about some of the things that we can all do to make sure that we give ourselves the best chance.
0: Right. A shot. Yeah, I have an RIP about someone who died from CHF. You know, It happens you go. all the time. There you, know, you go.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Dr. John Osborne is back from Dallas. He's really good, really well-spoken, and very easy to understand. He doesn't speak in medical ease. Yeah. It's very, very informative good. and very good. I think you'll like it. Kevin Briggs is our third guest. He's the former 20-year veteran of the California State Highway Patrol. We've been having these types of stories on the show. He became known as the guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. I think stories have been written, books have been written about this guy. He was just a highway patrolman. As it turns out, he ended up talking 200 people in his 20-year career off of the Golden State, Hmm. the, the Golden Gate Bridge. It's the most Prominent place in the United States where people who are thinking about committing suicide go.
0: There's a documentary out about it. Is it? It's a little grim. I would so. imagine
1: he's a. He might be a. Have you seen the documentary? Yeah, a long time ago though. Is so he not I, in it. I, I
0: don't remember. He may be two
1: hundred men and women. He lost two. Oh wow. So his record was like one ninety-eight and two. Whew. That's pretty, like John Wooden, like yeah, right, exactly. And he talks about about his career talking and and how he became Hmm. so proficient at talking people back off of the bridge. I always
0: wondered how the people who are on the bridge know that you're not just full of it or maybe they're just looking for someone to just to be nice and listen to them. I always kind of wondered the psychology of how that works.
1: I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that. Interesting. But um, I do know that Kevin Briggs is on our show and he's going to tell his story. And he kept in touch with one or two of the people that he talked off the bridge. Ah. And now he tours around with one of them and they actually do speeches. Have you heard that? I feel
0: like I saw a picture. Ah. A picture on Twitter recently of Of a guy. I can't say whether it was him, but I'm sure it was, right? If he's going around speaking, yeah, him and a guy who he saved. Who he saved.
1: Well, he doesn't like to use the word saved. Oh, he doesn't. Helped. Who he helped. He helped.
0: Yeah, and then like 15 years later, they keep in touch, and they were, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: So Steve Phillips, Dr. John Osborne, and you want a real-life hero that's not a quarterback or a home run hitter or a master's champion, Kevin Briggs is your man, the former 20-year veteran of the California State Highway Patrol who became the guardian of the bridge. And as you know, episode 180 and all the rest of Mitch Unfiltered shows, not possible without our partners like Daniel's Broiler. The countdown continues March 12th, the biggest and best annual event that they throw at the Bellevue location, the 11th annual Bourbon Bash. An amazing array of bourbons on display with the best food that the Northwest offers, danielsbroiler.com. A few tickets still remain available. Fireside Home Solutions, From the Beat the Boys competition, we paid off 25 winners this year. Whether it's a new toasty fireplace or a brand new set of garage doors, begin your search as we do at firesidehomesolutions.com. The new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, Jordan Flowers' team might very well save hundreds for you off your monthly mortgage payment. So many of us are throwing money out the window because of laziness. Just take a look at the interest rate that you're paying. And then give Jordan a call. Seven minutes. Seven minutes on the phone at 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza Keeping their current discount codes through March Madness. New location now in Spokane for Mark View. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have Zeke's to your door in no time. Homegrown in the Northwest. Episode 180 begins right now. Unfiltered. They were just about to sign off when they caught the fight and they stayed on to to call the fight. (laughs) While the fight was breaking out, you had the March Madness music playing in the background. (laughs) It was beautiful. (laughs) Howard throws a right. Unfiltered. I'm really discouraged that we have a major Division I college basketball program in... Our hometown, it's a Pac-12 school that's got some history. The fact that people have such an apathy towards that program is just really disheartening. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 180. Hot Shot Scott is now officially underway. Well, we were talking
0: about heroes. Yes. And then our our friend Ryan, I can't remember Ryan's last name, the guy who went rushing. Hasborg. Yes. Right? Went rushing into the burning building. Yes. Incredible. From episode one seventy nine. I feel like I was offline for a while and I I'd never heard that story. It's incredible the courage. And you asked, you know, we, or you said, we all
1: think we would do it. I uh, don't know. You though. don't know. I don't know. I doubt myself actually. Really. Really, you're driving down the road. You see a yeah.
0: I, I you would go running in. I I always feel invincible, which is well, the older I get, the less invincible I feel. But yeah. I I always feel like, well, fire fire's not going to hurt me. I'll just go run it in. But no, no, it can really hurt you, fire. And you got to be you know? it really hurt. you. She <laughs> it, was
1: dead. Yeah, he right. pulled the woman out, and then he then he brought her back to life. Incredible. On the second try, by the way,
0: the second try. Correct. I mean, imagine how 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 distraught you'd be after the first try. Like oh, this doesn't this doesn't work. And then on the second try, brought her back to life. I was thinking, if, if everyone just went through life like this guy, we'd live in a utopia. Clear, clearly, everyone doesn't and go through life Ma- like him.
1: How did he come across on the show? And I, I, we're probably giving it away. If you haven't heard episode 179 and you listen to one segment listen to Ryan's segment who comes on the show and talks about driving to work one morning at like three o'clock in the morning and negative 10 degree temperatures in Wyoming and seeing a house on fire and, and driving immediately to this strange house yeah. where there were three kids coming out. He tells the story. How does he tell the, what kind of attitude? I mean, was he not the most modest guy Her on the humble? Modest, oh my God. Yeah. Incredible. Almost like he felt a responsibility. Like this is what, this is the way I was raised and this is what we do. And I yeah. never, he never even missed a beat. He never hesitated once going into that building. And he, I, I think he
0: even kind of suggested that he didn't feel right asking for the day off because he wouldn't be believed, which
1: is like another humble move. And then he goes and he gets, he gets clothes. Right,
0: yeah, I know. 200 bucks they blow at Walmart for these kids. like it's, Yeah, I know. Like I said, if everyone would act like him in life, you wouldn't be seeing anything in Ukraine. None of that. We would all just live in a, yeah. a utopia. It's sad that people can't just go through life and do as he does. Amazing listen to story. that segment just yeah.
1: listen to that segment if you haven't heard episode 179 anyway
0: i was wondering if you knew what he did for a living kind of when he he, he mentioned it and i i oil. Heard,
1: he's in the oil business he
0: trips pipe do you know what that means no i don't know what that means. i had a feeling that just went right over spoof. my head it what went over I, my head too but i i you had look a, it up i looked it up but okay, i what did I, had, he do? I had heard the term i so but, what's the term Tripping pipe. Tripping pipe. That's what he's a, he's a pipe tripper. He's I think a I, pipe tripper. It's the physical act of pulling the drill string out of the well bore and then running it back in. This is done by physically breaking out or disconnecting every two or three joints of drill pipe at a time and racking them vertically in the derrick.
1: Why do I need to know this?
0: But I, it's crazy <laughs> how, how little I know about life sometimes. Like, I have no idea. Like Am I I'd supposed to
1: know about this? Tripping pipe. Tripping like, pipe.
0: Like, I'm just thinking he must work his ass off every day. That doesn't sound like an easy job. He's up at three thirty. He's running a little late and he still has the wherewithal to go rescue a family from a burning fire. Just Thank God he was running late. An amazing, yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Thank God he was running late. That's right. I mean the other, whole family would have been destroyed yeah. essentially. Crazy story and a
0: great interview. Love it. Who
1: works harder? A guy like that? Pipe, what did you say? He's doing he's right? a, he's tripping pipe. Or Phil Mickelson. <laughs> right exactly how's my buddy phil mickelson been doing the last couple weeks how's it going for for good old phil the last couple of weeks yeah he's uh he's made you know how many years i've been making fun (laughs) i've been criticizing phil mickelson i've been on this little island why do you hate phil so much why don't you like do you were you around Back in the day at KJR when I was making fun of Phil Mickelson? Or is that not familiar
0: to you? No, me? it's definitely familiar. I mean, I, I don't know when you started hating him. But, oh. I, like, if you if somebody would have come to me and said, which golfer does Mitch detest? I easily feel Mickelson. Like, yeah. I, I, I know. And some when I was seeing these headlines, I kept thinking of you, like, oh you my must feel God so vindicated. Fuck.
1: No, no. You know, see, I want to make sure that I'm clear about how I feel. Okay. Vindicated is not the right word. After my last five or seven years. I, I'm not – look, I – the guy has fallen from grace, hard, yeah, hard, and he's brought it upon himself, and he's shown to to the world what a lot of people have felt about him for a lot of years, which is that he's a phony, he's manipulative, okay. he's all about himself, he's all about his bank account, he's always the smartest guy in the root room, but he has done an amazing PR job with the thumbs up and the 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 sign, you know the. The stories about him signing autographs that he'll stand for hours and hours and said he's just won the world over and really nothing that he has done up until now has really kind of made a dent in his okay. in his overall popularity. At least publicly that everyone... He has th- withstood everything. Yeah, I mean, he even... You were, do you remember him hitting a, a putt that was moving? He got so frustrated at the U.S. Open, he missed a putt, it was rolling downhill, and he ran and he hit it while it was moving. Yeah, I do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> People laugh, oh, it's Phil! It's Phil, yeah, nice guy. Phil. Yeah. He got in trouble for insider trading. That's right. It's <laughs> Phil! I forgot about that. <laughs> he was, you know, he was associated with a, with a gambler who Ended up uh, in jail for insider trading and he had to give back a million dollars or more of, of stock that he had purchased with inside information. Oh, it's
0: it's Phil. Phil. Yeah, he
1: criticized do? Tom Watson. It's Phil. He's always kind of just played the PR game. He's got the 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 Twitter, the fireside chats. Everybody loves yeah, that's Phil. That's right. I have never liked Phil. When did this so start? Did, can you can you go oh back and, God. and
0: kind of diagnose it? Because had I not met you, I, th- I think I would be like the masses. I was masses. in his company know. a
1: couple times in D.C. when I was working in D.C. and I okay. watched. It felt so dripping of of, mm. of phony. It okay. just felt wrong from the beginning. The so, very first time I just ever working. So you brought that to Seattle. Like you had already oh, had those feelings. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I never liked Phil. Okay. Is Mitch like dancing on his great? No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. I, I, do I feel vindicated? No, I don't feel vindicated. Look, the guy the guy made some really reprehensible remarks and then he had a chance to save it. He had a chance to save himself with a good apology interview or statement. He should have gone on TV, Sports Center, with a camera in his face and just taken accountability and said, I was an idiot and I was terrible and what I said was hurtful and just stopped there. But the apology, he screwed, I think, what do they say? That very often it's not the crime but the cover-up that gets the person in trouble isn't there some yeah, sort of expression? Yeah, yeah well this isn't exactly that but the apology he blew he really choked do you remember the u.s open <laughs> 72nd <laughs> no. hole do you remember that the driver that he was about to win the u.s open finally and hit a dead left he ended up making seven on the 72nd hole at the u.s open and he lost by a shot and he caught himself and did remember that that whole this, this was worse than that okay the apology was worse than that. Have you read the apology yeah. statement? What did you think well,
0: when you read the apology statement? It felt like that he's just not capable of, of be, oh. being accountable oh. for anything. He, he was taken out of context. I'm taken so. out of context. Yeah,
1: so. I was I was talking off the record and taken yeah. out of context. Yeah. He called the author of his biography. That's who he told this to. And he called the author. <laughs> that's, who but he was ta- that's the guy who took him out of context. Gotcha. Oh, my God. That it,
0: it's pretty incredible for a guy to not be able to win over either side. Like he made oh comments God. that
1: that offended. Awful. He's been in bed with the with that Saudi Arabian conglomerate that Greg Norman's involved with on okay. the tour and. He's lost all, I think, just about every <sighs> endorsement.
0: I read Callaway, and I did, I'm no expert. That sounds like a big one. Well,
1: they're they're on pause. That's right. Okay. I think he makes somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 million a year in endorsements off the course. Oof. I think those have all dried up, at least for the time being. He's lost wow. the spokesperson deal at the American Express, whatever that golf tournament is in Palm Springs. I don't know how big of a deal that is. I think bigger... He's probably lost, which is amazing to what I'm about to say. He's probably lost the ability to to captain the Ryder Cup team. I mean, he was thought of as not only a captain, that he might be a captain for years and years. I don't know that he'll ever be a captain of the Ryder Cup Uh team now. And then the biggest thing, somebody was emailed a couple of people emailed me and said, Mitch, how much money is he going to lose from this thing? I don't even think you can calculate how much Mm -hmm. money he's going to lose. Because he had... Tony Romo money waiting for him uh, the moment he snapped his fingers and decided, I'm going into TV. Yeah, TV was just salivating. Sure. Every network was willing to... I think he would have made $15, $20 million a year just doing golf on television. That's wow. how in demand he was on TV. And I don't know... Now, some people would say, well, maybe he'll still do that. Maybe he will. It's going to be fascinating to see Does time heal wounds?
0: Well, we've talked about it a lot of times with comics who say something. Yes. How long are they supposed to be in the corner until they can perform again? You know, we don't know. No one knows. Perform
1: and perform. You know, what kind of performance are we talking about? Are we talking about going out and playing golf at the Masters? Yeah. Are we talking about winning Champions Tour events? Or are we talking being the face of golf on TV, the face of the PGA Tour, who he's just been ragging at every turn? He called him greedy. It's really fun to hear a guy worth $500 million. (laughs) call the entity that made him that 500 yeah. million dollars greedy anyway it's just been a colossal disaster for Phil Mickelson and do I feel your question was do I feel vindicated yeah no this no. is I'm somebody who 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 needed and got grace and forgiveness in my life? I made public mistakes. He's now made some public mistakes. He's made more than a few. Yeah. I don't, I don't wish that he never be accepted. If you're a fan, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Phil Mickelson and you want to continue to be a fan of Phil Mickelson, I'm fall for it. I think what this does for me, here's what this does for me personally. Okay. I do get one personal benefit out of the deal. All right. I don't think I have to answer anymore. Why don't you like uh. Phil Mickelson? I am so tired of that question. Yeah. What is it about Phil Mickelson that you don't like? <laughs> right. Do I ever have to answer that question again? At least I get a break on that question. Yeah. Or no,
0: or don't I? No, I I, th- I think it's pretty clear now. Because had I not met you, I don't think I would know why people don't like Phil Mickelson. Like, I, Not I, many
1: I... don't like him. I guess there's some that don't okay. like him.
0: I, I guess I wouldn't have known why you didn't if you would have said you can't stand him because I'm I'm kind of with the masses. I I see him with the thumbs, up. you know. I don't really know what thumbs up, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but now I now I don't think you have to answer that. I think it's pretty clear that he's self centered and
1: he's super self centered. He's not very self aware. I don't think the other golfers like him very much. Mm. His peers, I, I think there's probably a contingent that do like him. Okay, but for the most part, there's always been this kind of Tiger Woods. They like Tiger Woods. They do. Yo.
0: Yeah. Because he him and the media he's, don't mix. So I didn't know about him yeah, and the players. He and the
1: media mix okay. Oh, they do okay. Okay. But the players love huh. Tiger Woods because he's authentic. Yeah, yeah. I don't get the feeling that the players, for the <laughs> most part, love Flipper. Okay? <laughs> Titskala. I don't think that they love Titskala. One thing I don't you may have He's in it
0: for him. You may have mentioned it and missed it, but then I, I saw that in 2023 there was his charity. Was going to host an event, so I, doesn't, doesn't the charity miss out on some money, his charity as well? His
1: charity was the beneficiary of the Palm Springs tournament.
0: Oh, that was the one. Okay, yeah, the
1: Palm yeah. Springs one. Where he was like the unofficial Ugh. host of the deal. So, yes, his charity gets hurt. I think he had a chance to get himself out of it. With a good apology, With a good apology, yeah. You know, played the victim, yeah. Oh yeah. Played the activist, yeah. You know, tried to smooth things over with the Saudis because he was in kind of in bed with them. Just to, he managed to piss both sides oh off, which God. is really hard to do. The worst apology. And again, that's Phil being Phil because he's the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't right. need anybody to help him. Yeah. And he's- most people in that situation, most prominent figures in that situation would have had a PR agency or attorneys or or you know consultants of or advisors. Yes, I did. Yeah. Help him craft that. He probably went into his room and go, oh, I'm just gonna do this. I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm yeah. Phil. This- I'm smarter than everybody else. And then it just back. Backfired. The person who's backfired.
0: The person who's the smartest person in the room is smart enough to know that they might need some help crafting this, so they don't look like an idiot when they. Of
1: course, right. That, Let that's me make, make sure, sure I smartest,
0: do exactly. Exactly right. You know, it's it's sort of like it, it, to your question of, "Will I have to answer?" It's like when OJ got thrown in jail for holding people hostage for his memorabilia in Vegas, not for double murder, allegedly, <laughs> right? I mean, that's it, eventually your true colors. Just you can try to tamp them down as much as you want to the to the masses. Eventually, that stuff just comes out. And
1: oh, by the way, before I put this completely to bed, this whole notion, which is kind of getting lost in the shuffle, about, oh my God, the PGA Tour is greedy, and he was he was using the Saudi Arabian League as mm-hmm. leverage to make change because golf is struggling and the PGA Tour is struggling. <laughs> Look, I don't pretend to know about the inner workings of the PGA Tour. I'm certain that there are issues and shit that's going on behind closed doors of the PJ Tour, just like there is everywhere else at every other right. business, right? Yep. But it looks to me like these guys are doing okay for themselves, <laughs> these golfers. <laughs> yeah. Am I wrong about that? They're making millions and millions of dollars on the course, off the course, equipment money, appearance money, endorsement money. They're all flying private jets from tournament to tournament. Yeah. It, it looks like they're doing okay. I, he made $500 million. On and off the course, thanks to the PGA Tour. I did a little research. When I was a kid, I guess when I was a kid, when I was a young adult, the magic number of the PGA Tour was 125. Okay. You know why that was a big number? No. Because 125 guys back in the day retained their card, their playing privilege. The best 125 on the money list got their privileges back for the following year. You had to finish in the top 125. That's 15 years ago. They they've changed that now. I don't know how exactly how exactly it works and how you retain your card. But that, if you didn't if you didn't finish in the top 125, yeah. you had to go back to Q school oh, no. or you had to go to the mini tours and the minor leagues and whatever and earn your way back on the PJ Tour. So I looked up in 2021, the last full season, what the 125th Player on the money list made. Okay. Okay? His name is Tyler McCumber. Now, you might know the last name. His father was Mark McCumber, who was a very good player and won a bunch and actually won the Players' Championship, I think. But this is his son, Tyler. He finished 125th last year. Okay. On the PGA Tour. On the money list. On the money list. On the money list of the PGA Tour. So back in the day, he would have been the last guy to get his card, and everybody underneath him would have been... He made a million and twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> in 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 wow in golf earnings, right? Just, in, in earnings of tournaments,
0: right? Hey, you know, you say that these guys do it okay. When I first got in your Cockamamie Golf League, you used my to Cockamamie run, Golf League around that's, like that, 90. That's what we called it the Cockamamie <laughs> Golf League, yeah. 95, 96. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd pick David Duval, and he'd win it and he'd get 320 grand. That's all he would get, or 380 or 360. Like a big one was like half a million, right? right you know
1: 25 years so, ago so yeah, they're, the they're worst, doing okay. so the essentially the the worst performing golfer that would get his <laughs> card 15 years ago yeah. last year made 1.25 or no 1.025 yeah. million dollars on the course then there was probably a little bit of equipment money and appearance oh, money sure. he probably Tyler McCumber probably brought in 1.5 million. I think they're doing okay. These guys yeah, sounds like this it. whole notion that oh my god, <laughs> we've got to use the Saudi Arabian league to get leverage because yeah. we're being mistreated by the greedy PGA. I don't know. They, Look, yeah, looks okay
0: to me. But I mean, that's just one of the many cockamamie statements by Cock- Phil Mickelson. We're back to cockamamie. Or Fakakta yeah. statements Fakakta. by Phil Mic- yeah. Mickelson, right? Yeah. you didn't have to poke a hole in it. Like I think we already knew that they're doing okay. They're but, doing okay. Yeah. I'm happy and you he's, did your homework. And
1: he was doing okay. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. I mean, how do, how do you mess that life up? For the most part, everyone loves you. You play golf well, for a living. You're, he's a professional athlete. How old is he, 50, 49? He's
1: 51. Hey, you're still a professional athlete. You have He a just nice won life. the PGA Championship last year. <laughs> right, how do you mess that up? He was life the Piper. He was the most beloved or one of the most beloved figures in all of sports. And then he said what he said to Alan Shupnick. And then the apology oh. and boom, everything's gone. Amazing. It's all gone. But again, we're in the middle of it right now. And my friend, John Hawkins, who was also on episode 179, he he texted me just the other day and he said, Mitch, give it six months. He's Teflon Phil. Give it six months. From this, though? He hasn't come From back this, to anything like this, though. Give it six months and wow. it'll all be forgotten. He thinks he's going to get the TV gig. He thinks he's going to get the Ryder Cup captaincy. He thinks he's going to get his endorsements back. Wow. He's going to start winning champ- I We'll see. It's 2022. Time, time will tell.
0: Time will tell. Time yes. will
1: tell. Three interviews and then other stuff. Let's do it. Hey, look who's on the line. It's Lindsey Schwartz, the CEO of Daniels. How's Lindsey Schwartz doing? How are the restaurants doing, Lindsey?
3: I'm doing great, Mitch, and the restaurants are doing great, too. It's uh, It's been a good run here the last few months. Trends are getting better and better, and uh, we're looking forward to moving into the spring and summer.
1: You know what I haven't asked you in a while about the pandemic and how it's still impacting fine dining, if it is impacting you guys at Daniel's Broiler?
3: You know, for us, we do a lot of special occasion business. So we've been doing great for the holidays, as we've discussed Thanksgiving, December, Valentine's Day. We get a lot of anniversaries and birthdays celebrated with us. So that that feels pretty normal. We're not seeing as much corporate business lunches, business dinners, happy hour. But overall, things are are really getting back to normal and hope that trend continues.
1: I've always said that March Madness is my favorite time of the sports world. Lindsay with the NCAA tournament and all the things that come along. You guys have your own longstanding tradition as well at Daniel's broiler of Bellevue. Tell everybody about the 11th annual bourbon bash this year.
3: Yeah, that's personally my favorite event that we do every year. It's March 12th at Daniel's Bellevue. And uh, we use all of the banquet rooms. We have vendors, all of our vendors bring their bourbons in. We'll have a selection of over a hundred different bourbons to try, including some Pappy Van Winkle, it's a lot of fun. Great passed around appetizers. We've already got a bunch of signups. There's still some tickets left, but it's going to be a really nice event again this year.
1: Danielsbroiler.com to buy tickets, correct? Yes. Okay. The other night, I look up, and my wife's got the old-fashioned Daniels mixer out. She's got the bourbon out, all out of the blue. And it reminded me of your mixers on Amazon, which
3: still are selling well. Yeah, they're selling great. I love to hear that. We've been on Amazon for over a year, keeps getting busier and busier. And recently we launched locally at QFC and that's off to a really good start too.
1: Okay. So the bourbon bash is March 12th. It's the 11th annual. It's at the Bellevue location. You can get some tickets at danielsbroiler.com. It's the biggest event they do over the course of the year. We love Daniels broiler, a great partner and a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered took a turn for the worse between Major
0: League Baseball and the MLBPA on Saturday. The union actually thought they moved towards the league on a couple big issues, revenue sharing and Super 2s, but the league says those are non-starters. They've been saying it for a year, yet the union keeps making offers. It'd be if the league was making
1: salary cap offers and the union kept rejecting them. Episode 180 continues with an old friend who typically brings joy to our shows. Both on KJR and Unfiltered, but I don't think this time around he's the former GM of the Mets, baseball voice, Sirius XM, and stadium sports, and all-around good guy, Steve Phillips. How are you, Steve?
2: I'm doing great. Good to be with, with you, Mitch. How you doing?
1: I'm doing very, very well. Tell us that everything is going to be okay and that these knuckleheads are not going to damage the sport again, or is it too late for that, Steve?
2: Well, boy, it sure feels like it's going to be too late for it. I, at this stage, seems likely we're going to have a delayed start to the season, and they're going to have difficulty getting a deal done. They're far apart on a lot of the issues, and so they're battling it out a little bit. What's interesting is having players who don't really understand negotiations – being in the meeting, I think gets in the way. It's, you know, because we keep hearing reports, well, the players are mad. They're storming, they're calling, name calling. Like that doesn't happen if you understand the process of negotiating or it shouldn't happen. You know, you got to control those emotions. So it's gotten emotional. uh, And, you know, when you're dealing with money, even though people say it's not about money, it's about money, people get emotional.
1: Steve, is this a case of The players signed a crappy deal the last time around, and they're trying now to undo a lot of those wrongs that happened?
2: Well, let's first understand that baseball players have the best collective bargaining agreement in all sports. They have something that no other sport has – And they have, you know, the wherewithal that at the top, there's no salary cap. Every other sport, there's a partnership between the players and owners. They come up with the revenues. They have agreed splitting of the pie and they each get their share and and it up among themselves. That's not the way it works in baseball. So the negotiations are always going to be more painful. Uh, And I think the players, there's a part of it where they thought they did well in the past two negotiations, but the way that the unintended consequences, which are always parts of a negotiation where we want this, but we don't really understand what it looks like when it's implemented. How is it going to look when it actually gets into action? And what's happened is that the owners and the clubs have been able to to manage their rosters to control salaries Not with any collusion, not with doing anything wrong, just with the system. And so what the players are doing is in one fell swoop, they want to come in and get it all back. And that's just not how it works. And the problem is it's a bargaining session. And when you bargain, it means that when you want something, you have to give something and the players don't really have anything that the owners want. They want the owners want expanded playoff. That's something. And it's worth some money. Mm -hmm. But but other than that, and so what the players have done to create leverage is they've taken extreme positions, the the competitive balance tax. They put it way up here at two hundred and forty five to two hundred seventy five million when it was two hundred and ten. And the last time that there was a deal, it went up in two million dollar increments. And so they went way out there. Then they want this player pool of a hundred plus million dollars for the young players, those that that teams have control over their salaries. That's a hundred million that wasn't spent before, and so that's they've taken extreme positions. And what they think they can give in a deal is to move back off an extreme position, which really to the owners isn't much of a give.
1: But to the public, it looks to us, the guys that don't follow it like you do, it looks to us like, oh, the players are coming back off of their numbers. The players are moving, but the owners are not. And and we like to make the owners the villains in these things anyway, don't we?
2: Oh, yeah, there's no question. And I got to tell you, I – that's not the case here. Uh, and look, nobody, there are no victims in major league baseball. And so when, when people start stomping their feet and throwing temper tantrums, because they feel like they're victimized by the system, we've got to chuck ourselves. They're, they're, they're These are all rich people problems, no right. matter which side you are on the argument. Uh, and so they've got to try to find some middle ground and the middle ground is so far out there because of the extreme positions that the players took that a midpoint on these things where they're apart really isn't the place to go. And so what worries me is that somehow the union leadership told the players, these are not unreasonable requests on our part, and they have been. And so the owner is going to have to move more than they've been willing to so far, but they don't want to make the big move until the players come down off of this extreme position, and therefore it's been tiptoeing through it so far.
1: So we're back, Steve, asking the questions that we posed during the pandemic. Opening day, how much spring training do they really need? What about pitchers, arm strength, fear of injuries? The owners have been threatening that February 28th, which is the day that we're releasing this podcast, is the deadline to preserve that March 31st opener and have a 162-game season. Is that a bluffing date or is that a real date in your
2: estimate? That's a real date. It can't be a bluffing date because if you throw it out there and then you don't stand by it, then the next time you throw something out there, why would they believe you? And so like Rob Manfred is a uh, a practiced and, and professional negotiator. He was the guy that was doing all the negotiating when Bud Selig was the commissioner. We had labor peace. He knows better than to throw out a, a date and then not stick by it. And so they're going to need four weeks because the three weeks we went through in the pandemic to rush guys back on the field was not healthy for them or a lot of injuries coming out of it. So it's going to take four weeks. And remember there are over 200 free agents still out there unsigned. And so you need some time to be able yeah. to get guys to camp and get players signed.
1: All right, you mentioned a couple of the key points. I don't know. You know, I, I it's minutia to a lot of the people that are just sports fans and baseball fans, which of the things that you mentioned, you talked about the competitive balance threshold, which I, I take as just a luxury tax. They call it a luxury tax in the NBA. Which of these things, the arbitration eligible issue, the the how many teams in the post even the service time manipulation, Give me the one that's the troubling one, the one that's going to take a long time for these two sides to get together on.
2: Yeah, it seems like the hill that the players are willing to die on is the competitive balance tax, that they really want that to go. Now, it contradicts their position that what they want is more competitiveness in the game because effectively when you move the competitive balance tax up, you're saying to the Yankees and Dodgers and and Mets, spend more, spend more, and further separate yourself from the smaller markets, but they want to extend the competitive balance tax much further than the owners want. And they want to reduce the penalties. I think it may come down to the players having to make a choice. Do you want a little bit of a move and keep the same looser penalties? Or do you want a lot more money, but make the penalties much more significant, which makes it a much harder cap. Mm -hmm. I think the players want the number way out there and lesser penalties Uh, And so, but that seems to be the big area that everybody is focused on. If I'm the owners, the competitive balance tax only affects, last year there were two teams that paid and five that were just under the CBT. Seven of the 30 teams are really affected by it. Give them whatever they want in that area for me. It only affects seven teams and push back on the other things. I think they'd be much much better served doing that. And it seems like it's the most important thing for the player. What are we heading
1: towards in terms of teams in the playoffs? How many are we going? Are we going to end up with 14? And then talk to us about a, a lottery system, not unlike the NBA, to get tanking. You're not going to ever eliminate tanking but to soften that issue in Major League Baseball.
2: So the owners want a 14-team playoff uh, is what their preference is. The players have proposed a 12-team format that they would prefer. uh, And baseball wants 14. They want another round. They're going to sell that round of playoffs. It's worth a lot of money in postseason money, 100-plus million dollars. But what the players have said is that if we lose any regular season games, we will not expand the playoffs we won't even go to 12 we'll go back to the 10 that is there now in seattle that's important because where they may not be the favorite to win the division they Wild could cards. get in yeah. you know 12 teams 14 teams sure. now you're talking yeah. to give them that opportunity right the the you know the the draft lottery you know in order to avoid tanking now you know, I don't call it tanking, I call it rebuilding. And it's the best process by which a team can get back to winning a championship. The players don't like it because what it means is the play. those teams don't spend money on players. They like rebuild with young guys. So uh, I think it's going to end up being six team draft uh, proposal. Well, six teams, six lowest records will be part of a lottery, uh, you know, weighted lottery to see who gets the first overall pick. So, and, and then a reward for teams who are at the top to get more draft picks so that, you know, there's that notion of strive for what's in front of you instead of avoiding what you might give up on the back end. So
1: the mythical ping pong balls are coming to major league baseball, right? They are. can't wait.
2: they will be <laughs> baseballs. We'll use, will I, I hope we use baseballs in our, in our little uh, Tumblr to be able to see who's uh, who gets the first pick. So
1: Steve, all of this talk, about how to distribute billions of dollars, in my estimation, and I'm only one person, you and I have talked about this a couple times before, continues to overshadow what I think is the bigger problem, as I see it, which is the product, the product, the defensive shifts, the analytics, less balls in play, less action. Owners and players... Don't agree that that's a problem. It just seems like it's a it's a slower, more boring sport the last five or ten years.
2: Yeah, the way teams have figured out analytics have said the best way to score a run in an inning is to have three guys go up there trying to hit a solo home run instead of having three guys each get a single. Uh, and so that's what's changed the game. And if I can get a walk, and a home run, then now we're talking because they you know, or a double in a walk I've scored. And so, uh, you know, that's part of it. I think that that I've always been opposed to doing away with the shift. But I think if we did, it would make contact hitting more appropriate. Now, it can't just be two infielders on each side of the bag, because the, the shortstop being right to the you know, shortstop side of second still gives them a chance to make the play. I think we put hash marks on the field like we have in football hash okay. marks okay. and make the infielders stay within those ranges, giving the ground ball up the middle, a chance to be a base hit shifts took away. I think like 10 points in batting average this year, so six to 10 points that it would make a huge difference with more offense, more action. That's the key. And I think there's some technology they're using in college baseball right now where they're signaling the pitches the with watch. a system, yeah. with the watch, that that even if it saves – think about it this. If it saves five seconds for each pitch, that in a 300-pitch game, it saves 25 minutes. Okay. Think how much more action we get, how much more Better. quickly we get to the action Better. that would really make a difference.
1: Better. You talked about the 200 free agents. That are still yet to sign once they, they do a deal. How quickly will these remaining free agents get swallowed up? And who are the interesting storylines as far as you're concerned? Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman, Trevor Story. Any of these guys Seattle bound, do you think?
2: Well, I think Chris Bryant's in the mix there. I do. I think Chris Bryant could be a factor there. Some third base for him, some outfield. You know, they have got a lot of versatile players on the Seattle roster where you could move him around and I think impact him on on a day in a lot of ways. Good offensive player, solid citizen on a team. He'd fit in nicely there. Uh, I would, listen, I'd be all over Freddie Freeman if I were them. And and, uh, if not, I would love to trade for Matt Olson. I don't know within the division if Oakland would be willing to do that. If not Anthony Rizzo, you could put France at third base. There's a lot, you know, you've got the DH role you can use. I'm not convinced Evan White's going to hit. And so I would really like to add a bat into the mix there. So I could see an offensive player. They could get in on some, and I also think some veteran bullpen help would be good for the team to give them some present, the Kendall Graveman role yep, from last sure. year. Love the other arms, but sure. I'd love another guy out there. Right. Uh, but I think that the first base market, Freeman, where he goes, what does that do for Matt Olson? What does that do for Anthony Rizzo? And obviously, Carlos Correa, a huge factor in the market and where the shortstops end up going. I think Houston gets one of the two, either Correa or Story.
1: Will he be the highest paid guy ever, Correa?
2: No. No, no. I, I don't think he's going to get – the, the Corey Seager contract. Okay. I think he signs for, he's not going to get the years. Okay. And I think some concerns about his back, Scott Boris has taken pictures of his, you know, the MRI <laughs> sent them out to everybody, uh-huh. but I just don't know that he's going to get the 10 year deal. So he may get a seven year, eight year deal with an opt out after two, still very young, could get back out in a free agency. And I think the Clayton Kershaw, Carlos Rodon markets are really two guys that when healthy were really good, but I've got real questions about their health. Kershaw's elbow, Rodon his shoulder, you know, they could help, but they're really going to have to be protected. And I think they could impact teams out West. Uh, and You know, the angels I think could be in on them and see where they could end up going to that division.
1: And finally you liked or loved the Robbie Ray contract here liked or loved.
2: I loved it. I, I'm a okay. big Robbie Ray fan. I okay. watched him a lot in Toronto with some of the work I do there. Yep. Yep. Uh, he's figured it out. He's figured out who he is. He really does two things. He'll throw his fastball up in the zone and he throws a slider, a hard slider, down and away to the lefty, down and into the righty. That's his game right now. And it really works for him because it's hard to cover the pitch up in the hitter's eyes and the breaking ball down at their ankles and guys swing under the fastball and over the slider.
1: Terrific stuff. You can catch him on XM on a daily basis, also Stadium Sports. They're not three guys, not three better voices. Uh, Talking about the game that we all love, let's hope that we get some sort of labor peace, and we'll get back to the playing days that we all want. Steve, it's great to have you back. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you for doing it.
2: Hey, my pleasure, Mitch. Anytime. When one of the nation's leaders
1: in the mortgage business, Cross Country Mortgage, wanted to set up shop in Kirkland, they immediately called Mitch Unfiltered sponsor Jordan Flowers and acquired his entire team. So that's the way it's done. And here he is, the former Eastlake and Washington Statewide receiver, J-Flow in the house.
4: Hi J Flo. Hey, how are you, Mitch? Mitchy the, the, kind of the-, the kid. Mitchy <laughs> the kid. Mitchy the kid, the slicker. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh,
1: oh. How would you say the first year is going at cross country? And you've got a lot of news and notes on rates and limits, and second homes, lay that stuff on us.
4: Yes, absolutely. Lots of news coming out. Interest rates are going up to get in front of the inflationary curve that we're all kind of seeing, experiencing, hearing about in the news. Loan limits have gone up to 647000 nationally for a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac-backed loan. So anybody looking to buy a home in the 700000 range is yeah. looking at 3 to 5% down at this point, hoping to make home ownership more possible. And there are a lot of good estimations as far as even your home values increasing this year from the National Mortgage Bankers Association, 5 six, ten 6%, 10% again in this market based it, off supply and demand.
1: Jordan, if our homeowners are like me, they auto pay their mortgage every month and hardly ever take a look at their interest rates and opportunities to save money. So let's say I'm in year eight of a 30-year fix. I've got great credit. My rate's four and a half percent. All right, I wanna stay in a 30 year. What could a seven minute call with either you? or a member of your team yield me?
4: Yes. Well, we can yield you several hundred dollars a month in savings, depending on what you want to do. If it's a 30-year fix you're looking for, rates are still much lower than four and a half. If you're looking at a 20-year, we can shorten the term and still save you two, three, $400 a month potentially. So we would look at 15, 20, 25, and 30-year options for you based on
1: what your ultimate goals are.
4: Phone number to reach you? 425-890-2957.
1: The Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage. Give them a call. See what Jordan Flowers' team can do for you. If the answer is nothing, you're only out seven minutes. That's not a lot. We love Cross Country Mortgage. We love Jordan Flowers. Great sponsors of Mitch Unfiltered.
5: Unfiltered. This calcium score is picking up literally hardening of the arteries, right? You've heard that term. That's what we're seeing. When we do this limited CAT scan, we're going to pick up these calcifications of the heart, and there should be none. So the only normal score is zero. So it's really a pregnancy test for early heart disease. Well, as
1: the month of February appears in our rearview mirror, so does another heart health month, which is so important, especially when it comes to the main demographic of shows like this one. It was a year ago on Mitch Unfiltered that Dr. John Osborne in the Dallas area cardiologist, former Harvard Medical School resident, spoke to us about preventative heart care, lots of positive reactions, so I figured let's pay him double this time. Here he is. How are you, Doc? (laughs) I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on, Mitch. Really appreciate it. Great to see you. Great to hear you. Any significant changes over the last 12 months in terms of data or preventative steps that we can take or technology or research? You know, we
5: sports fans We love numbers. So do you have any data, any numbers for us? I got lots of numbers. We got (laughs) lots of numbers. So uh, in the last year or so, a lot of things, uh, new things have occurred. Uh, One of the things I'll touch on is uh, what I call things that go bump in the night, a new technology uh, that allows you to do an EKG, an electrocardiogram at home, uh, and then be able to transmit that to your doctor or whatever. Another big thing is uh, I want to tell everybody the most important thing that happens during your office visit, the most important thing that's probably not being done correctly. Tell me the most important thing, believe it or not, that occurs when you go see your healthcare provider, nurse practitioner, PA, doctor, whomever, the most important thing that occurs during that whole visit is when they check your blood pressure. That is the most important thing that occurs during the whole visit. And High blood pressure contributes to over a half a million deaths every year in the U.S. Year in, year out, regardless of COVID. Here's the other problem, is that it's probably not being done correctly. So I can tell you some little tricks to make sure that whoever is checking your blood pressure is doing it correctly, because that blood pressure is an incredibly important variable. And many people don't check it at home, and the only time you might know Uh, or get a handle on what your blood pressure is, maybe in in your provider's office. And uh, so we're going to talk about how to make sure that they're measuring it and measuring it correctly, okay?
1: I want those tips. The other thing that you touch on here is these machines at home. I've never had one. My parents had one. I never trusted them. I'm assuming they've all gotten better over the years.
5: Yeah, they really have. Now, obviously, you you can't see this uh, if you're just listening, but this is the device. Uh, this little device here, this little device will, which is about three inches long, about an inch wide, and maybe an eighth of an inch thick will allow you to do an EKG at home. So if you have palpitations, heart rhythm issues, waking up at night, my heart's racing, maybe you're concerned. You might have something like atrial fibrillation. That is very, very common. This device will allow you to check that out at home uh, in the privacy of your own home, this thing costs 150 bucks. You buy it once. It's very simple. You run it off your iPhone or, or Android, and uh, it will actually automatically determine the heart rhythm and tell you if there's a problem or not. Where it's you, fantastic. Where do you buy it? You know, I just refer my, my patients to Amazon. It's called a Cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, Cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, 6L, which means it records six leads of the EKG. Fantastic product
1: tips to make sure that when your blood pressure is measured, it's done accurately. Go ahead, doc.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So here's the deal. First of all, anybody that uses a wrist cuff, a wrist monitor, as opposed to the kind that goes on the upper arm, the wrist monitors are random number generators. You're better off guessing your blood pressure than you are using those devices. They're just not accurate at all. Okay. So anybody that's trying to measure blood pressure using a wrist monitor that, that should be an immediate red flag. Got it. It's just a, not an accurate way of measuring blood pressure. So it needs to be measured uh, in the with a cuff in the upper arm. And in addition, when they check your blood pressure, it should be done when you're quiet, you're not talking, you're not moving. In addition, both feet should be flat on the ground oh. and your back should be supported. Okay? Unless you do those little tricks, those numbers can be really wildly off. And this becomes important because one half of U.S. adults, and when I say U.S. adults, I mean anybody over the age of 18 in the U.S. has high blood pressure. So between the two of us, one of us has high blood pressure (laughs) statistically, right? And and on top of that, from the age of 40 onwards, and Mitch, one of these days you'll hit 40, from the age of 40 onwards, the lifetime risk of developing high blood pressure in the United States is 90%. Not 19%, 90%. I tell people it's like going to the casino, you already know you've lost. The only question is how much money you're going to pay (laughs) them. Right. And so the diagnosis, management, and control of high blood pressure is absolutely critical, kills over contributes to the over half a million deaths every year, year in, year out. And unfortunately, many times the data, the blood pressure data is inaccurate. It's not measured well. It's not you're not using the right devices. And the other thing, too, is I really encourage really everybody, just like this little EKG device, everybody should have, believe it or not. And, and I know it, it sounds like you're an old fogey or not, but it's it's such a critical public health issue. Everybody should have a blood pressure cuff at home. These digital cuffs that we get at home are, are really pretty accurate. Uh, and the other thing, another little trick about in the office, when they're measuring blood pressure, they should always measure your blood pressure in both arms. Oh, absolutely. And I can guarantee you probably no one has measured your blood pressure, both arms. Never. There's a couple reasons. One that there is variability in blood pressure, right? So you want to have two numbers to make sure that those numbers are internally consistent. If you get two numbers that are wildly discrepant probably somewhat one of the n- one numbers was not obtained correctly, right? So you always want to measure both arms. And number two, rarely, but it does occur, there are conditions, congenital heart abnormalities, aortic dissections, rupture of the aorta, blockages in the blood vessels that can yield an unequal blood pressure, and you can pick that up by as simply as measuring blood pressures in both arms. Fantastic. So there you go. Let me touch on a couple things. I want to get some quick thoughts. We...
1: Yeah. We focused last year at this time on the coronary calcium scan. I've yes. had one since we've last talked. I know a lot of our listeners have written me and said they've had one. We've had some high scores, so you've saved some people, some 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 aggravation. Let's go back over that. Quick, yeah. easy, still a no-brainer for at-risk people. How about just the 40- or 50-year-old average Joe that doesn't have heart disease present in his family or risks. Yes or no?
5: Absolutely. I I think you need to think about the coronary artery calcium score or scan for anybody who wants to check this out or track it down. Coronary artery calcium score. It's done with a CAT scanner. It's not a blood test. You hear calcium. You think it's a blood test. It's done with a CAT scanner. Literally, you just get in the CAT scanner, no prep, no IV, no contrast, no fasting. You literally show up, takes less than 15 minutes, And you get their number right then, and this number is computer generated. It is completely objective. There's no, "Eh, is that funky? Is it not funky? Is it whatever? And literally, it's a pregnancy test. The only normal score on a calcium score, and but basically, we're looking for calcifications, literally hardening of the arteries and the blood vessels. The only normal score is zero. So if you're a zero, you're a hero in my book. (laughs) If it's not zero. That is actionable. That needs to be discussed about because what it says is if you have any calcium in your blood vessels, you've got plaque. But the good news is that more and more docs are aware of this, but still way, way underutilized. In fact, if you think about, or if you've ever been to a cardiologist, probably one of the things you get is a stress test. Okay. Yep. Everybody kind of understands get on the treadmill, do a stress test. I'm going to tell you in 2022 and frankly, this started several years ago in 2022, The stress test is a legacy test. It needs to be put to bed. Really? I order about two stress tests a year as a cardiologist. Really? Right? There's a little itty bitty niche where they're useful. The vast majority of the time, though, a calcium score is faster, safer, simpler, easier, cheaper, more accurate to pick up early heart disease long before you ever have the need for stents or balloons or bypass surgery or Simply keel over debt. Insurance paying for it. And if not, why not? Unfortunately not, which is the bad news. It, it's kind of crazy. Um, we've been literally doing calcium scores since the mid eighties, right? This is not new technology. What's new is data. We now have a few thousand papers on a value of getting a calcium score and medicine moves very, very slowly, unfortunately. And it works both ways. If it's high, that says, hey, we, we, we gotta do some stuff. We gotta take care of this. And we can change that trajectory dramatically long before you ever, ever have symptoms. So that's why I call the test the cardiac colonoscopy, there right? Yeah. The same concept of picking up a polyp. So you take care of the polyp and the polyp never turns into a cancer. You wanna pick up this calcification long before you ever, ever have symptoms. And it's really not designed for people have symptoms. It's designed to pick up disease before you ever have symptoms. A zero score is incredibly reassuring. So if you have a zero score, your 10-year risk of a heart attack is less than 1%. If it's not zero, again, pregnancy tests, just not zero, right? And these scores, you know, and I'm talking one and above, and I've seen people walk in with scores of 10,000. If you have a non-zero score, your 10-year risk of heart attack with a non-zero score, is now 20%. We just featured
1: a, a former University of Washington quarterback on our show a couple weeks ago. His name is Cody Pickett. He's the picture of health. You would look at him, he's about 35, 40 years old, exercises rigorously, he's a coach, in terrific physical shape, had a family member die of a heart attack, decided to go get a calcium score. His calcium score was 1,200. Wow. And he's got stints now, and we prevented a near- Catastrophe. Okay. Other things for you, doc. Yeah. You mentioned the word cholesterol. Last year, we didn't talk about cholesterol a lot. Let's talk. Give us a quick lesson good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, HDL, LDL, target numbers, statins. Give us a quick lesson on cholesterol. Okay. I'll do that in about
5: 60 seconds. How's that sound? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah. So, cholesterol, obviously a big, big deal. In fact, there's an unbelievable amount of mythology. And think, things that you think you might know about cholesterol, that is completely wrong. So first of all, in no particular order, you know, historically there's been bad cholesterol. We generally call that the LDL, the lethal lousy cholesterol. And then there's the good cholesterol, the HDL, the happy heavenly cholesterol. But let me tell you, the HDL doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. So HDL does not prevent heart attacks. Don't believe the HDL. It's just not a reliable marker. Now, the LDL is, okay? But here's the other thing that people don't know or realize about LDL. 95% of your LDL cholesterol is genetically determined. It is hair color. So as I kid my patients, when we're talking about, geez, I got a positive calcium score. We need to mitigate that risk, lower that risk. We gotta go after the cholesterol. And by the way, cholesterol is the central risk factor for heart disease. Diabetes, bad. Smoking, bad. High blood pressure, bad, right? All fixable, though. But cholesterol is the central risk factor. We need to control all these. But if you do not control your cholesterol, you can't control the plaque. Because the stuff that builds up in the blood vessel—blood vessels, and that could be the heart, could be the arteries going to the, to the brain, the carotid arteries, could be arteries in the legs, any artery, that plaque is characterized and contains cholesterol. So in fact, it's such a powerful risk factor. I don't even like to call it a risk factor. Cholesterol is not a risk factor for heart disease. It is heart disease. It's not a risk factor. It is the essential, mandatory, necessary, may not be sufficient, might need some other factors, smoking, diabetes, whatever, but it is always present in every plaque. The typical drugs, the first line drugs, because we've been using them for 40 years, they're pretty well tolerated, and the vast majority of people we know they work, are the drugs called statins. A uh, lot of crazy stuff out there on the, on the inter- interweb about side effects and all that. If you have a side effect, it's annoying. You might get some muscle aches, joint aches, and about 10% of people, at most, you lower the dose, we use some other tools, Not a big deal.
1: That was a long 60 seconds. I'll underscore what you just said, by the way, with a little personal information that might help our listeners. I've been on a statin for 25 years. I'm 54 years old, maybe 20 years. I'm 54 years old. I never had what they would consider high cholesterol. But my father had a heart attack at 49, okay? Right. And my primary physician said, I know you don't have high cholesterol. I want you to have low, low, low for the next... 50, 60, 70 years. At age 25, he put me on a stat and he said, I want your numbers really, really, really low, despite the fact that your numbers are not that high.
5: Brilliant. So you we ta- you asked about numbers, goals, right? So if you have a positive calcium score, I want to see your LDL well below 70. 55 makes me even happier. If you've had an event, I want it 55 or below for your LDL, the bad cholesterol. I, gotta, uh, I got other things. I got to get to other
1: things. I yeah. gotta get to other things that are important because I I know my audience. Let's let's okay. have let's have the alcohol beverage debate, mm-hmm. especially red wine. It seems like you smart guys can't get together and agree on if there are negative cardiovascular impact of a small consumption of wine each month. Where does my Doc Osborne stand on that? So I'm
5: I'm still gonna say if you. Consume something like red wine. You can do it responsibly. You don't have an addictive personality. It's not a problem, etc. You know, I think a little bit of red wine is is is, is a great thing. I'll still go on record for that. For that. But it, you know, science evolves; it changes. Uh, more recently, there's been some more recent articles out there saying any amount of alcohol is bad. When you actually look at the data, a glass a day there was no harm. There's just no harm. Uh, now, you drink too much; it elevates triglycerides, which are another bad form a cholesterol uh it it can elevate blood pressure and of course it can make you gain weight which is never good but you know a glass of wine a day i'm still going to say is is fine and enjoy Uh, the other thing that's a big big deal that came out just a few months ago from the european society of cardiology the world's biggest cardiology meeting is actually about vaccinations and heart disease Ah. believe it or not but it's not what, what you're thinking There'd been a lot of data that suggested, but was not 100% conclusive, that the flu vaccine could lower the risk of both strokes and heart attacks. Well, in September, and then published in the American Heart Association Journal Circulation, they demonstrated for the first time ever a double-blinded, placebo-controlled prospective study where they took people with heart disease and appreciate these people already on cholesterol drugs and statins and aspirin and blood pressure drugs and treat their diabetes, all those things we knew save lives, prevent strokes and heart attacks. They then randomized about 3000 patients to get a flu shot or not get a flu shot, fall them out over just 12 months. And they showed that by getting a flu shot, it lowered the risk of cardiovascular events by 28 percent, highly statistically significant. And in fact, if you look at cardiovascular death, which is not a death you want, cardiovascular death was reduced by 41% and also all-cause mortality, death from any cause, also reduced by 41% by getting a flu shot. The next thing that my
1: doctor asks me every year at my physical after he asks me, are you drinking? And I huh? say, no. He says, you're a big golfer, right? I said, yep. He says, you are smoking cigars on the golf course? And I say, no. But I know all the guys that I
5: play with do Yeah, cigars. So here's the deal. There was a great study that came out a couple of years ago looking at smoking. And what they did is they found people that smoked a cigarette a day. There are some people that do that. They, they looked at people who smoked five cigarettes a day. And then they compared cardiovascular outcomes, strokes and heart attacks, to people that smoked a pack a day. So here's the thing. If you smoke a cigarette a day, you're already getting a third of the harm of smoking the whole pack. If you smoke five cigarettes a day, you're getting half the harm of smoking the whole pack. So there is no threshold where you can consume tobacco. And I don't care whether you smoke it, snort it, chew it, inject it, rub it on your skin, use it as a colonic. There is no safe amount of tobacco. Okay, even that occasional cigar. Is it isn't worth it, right? I tell people when they say, well, I just have a cigar when I play golf, you know, occasionally once a quarter, I say, you know, what you're saying to me is, Dr. Osborne, I want to do some cyanide. What's the safe <laughs> amount of cyanide for me to take? I'm going to say the easiest, simplest question, answer to that question is no level of cyanide is safe, right? Just don't do it. Stress. Are you a meditation proponent? Every day. Every day. Yeah, it, it really is important. I mean, it, it really it, it's good not just for the heart, it's good for blood pressure. Uh, and stress is, is a tough thing because you know you can't measure it, you can't do a blood test for it, you can't image it. Uh, but it clearly does play a big, big role in contributing to cardiovascular risk. And another thing that people don't appreciate as far as risk factors that contribute to heart disease very common is actually air pollution. Air pollution is actually becoming a big, big deal Mm. as far as a contributor to cardiovascular risk, believe it or not. And finally, my partner on
1: this podcast always says to me, I can't get Dr. Osborne out of my mind from a year ago saying, (laughs) get hot and sweaty. Just get hot and sweaty. Just get hot and sweaty five times a week or
5: six times a week. Let me say something blasphemous, right? Take that Fitbit you wear or your band, throw it out, worthless, it's worthless. I run into people when they exercise full bore, right? Can't go anymore, heart rate settles at 110 other people, 180. So it doesn't really matter what your heart rate is. Go out there, get hot and sweaty, whatever your heart rate is, it's fine, but just go out there half an hour. Most days of the weeks, so we say 150 minutes a week or so five days a week for half an hour. Do something that fits in your lifestyle that you like to do or that you least attest, as I tell people with exercise, and just get your heart rate up, get hot and sweaty. Whatever your heart rate goes to, it's fine. If, if your heart rate goes, quote, too fast, you're going to poop out. Okay. You've, you're actually working out too hard. Bring it back a of smidge. If you can do a half an hour and you're not even getting hot and sweaty, you got to crank it up. But just go with how you feel. The heart rate monitors, not helpful. <laughs> You have the floor. You finish us. You finish it (laughs) off. Go ahead. I'm going to call this last bit. Cardiology. Hocus pocus. Okay. Pocus stands for point of care ultrasound. So another big revolution for heart function. If you have heart failure, bowel problems, whatever. Echocardiography, cardiac ultrasound is fantastic. But we don't use ultrasound just for the heart. We use it to look at the carotid arteries. We used to see, you know, if you got blood clots in your legs, and then of course we use it for kidneys and gallbladders and all that stuff. The big revolution right now is they now have ultrasound probes that'll fit in your hand that literally plug into your iPhone. It used to be a 400-pound cart, and you'd have to push these things around. Now, probe that fits in your hand literally plugs right into your iPhone. It's called point of care ultrasound. So now if I have a question, I hear a murmur. I want to know what your heart function is. Have you had a heart attack? You have heart failure. I don't have to send you off to the echo lab and spend several hundred bucks. I I whip this thing out and I do your ultrasound right there in the same room. Done. Beautiful. Fantastic technology. Again, cheaper, faster, safer, simpler, easier, better for everybody. Huge wins out there. So the technology is only getting better and better. Have a safe and healthy year. Put me on the
1: calendar for February 2023. And you'll you'll see my smiling face again. I wish you all the very best. God knows how many people you just helped. You helped a lot of people. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. And,
5: And I thank you for bringing me on during Heart Health Month as well.
1: Well, it's a new year. And that means a new story for Mitch. As it pertains to my quizzes from Katie Versio, Senior Financial Planner evergreen golf call katie how are you i'm doing well mitch how are you i'm good and i'm feeling like 2022 is gonna be my year to do better than like 0 for three and one for three what is the theme of the three questions this time around
6: so the theme today is what has the market been doing so far this okay. year so All seeing right. how close you've been paying attention okay yeah so true or false oh through january 21st the stock market is up on the year oh
1: well, that's definitely false
6: you're right. It's okay. false. It's down about 8% through the first few weeks of the year. It's been a lot more volatility than we've seen recently. A lot of that is due to the rising COVID cases. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, there's some geopolitical risks that are going on, as well as the threat of rising interest rates in the future. Right. So overall, it's been a lot more volatile than, than we've seen recently.
1: A rough start to 2022 for the stock market. Question number two, Katie.
6: The bond market is up on the year. Is that true or false?
1: I'm going to say true because when equities go down, bonds typically go up. So I'll say true.
6: Uh, So that was a bit of a trick question Uh. for you. It's actually false the bond market is down about 1% this year so that is the conventional wisdom when stocks go down bonds go up but it's been a environment we're looking at rising interest rates and that's been really impacting the bond market as well
7: all right
1: i'm one for two i really need this one to get off to a good start this year in your eyes so what's <laughs> question number 3
6: in a previous quiz we discussed that the market measured by the S&P 500 has not had a correction since march of 2020 what percent down from peak to trough is officially considered a correction. Is it down 5%, down 10, 15 or 20%? I'm throwing out the extremes 5 and
1: 20. This is what I did when I was back in school and I didn't know answers. So either B or C, I'll go I'll go 15%. Ooh,
6: it's actually 10. You ah. were very close. We haven't seen a correction of 10% since March of 2020. The market's down about 8% right now. So now is the time for our evergreen clients. We're reaching out if people have been in cash or wanting to get more aggressive. Now with the market approaching that correction territory, it's a time that we're thinking about that for our clients.
1: So here I am in 2022, starting off right where I left off in 21, one out of three, batting 333. But we still love evergreen golf call. We love Katie Versio. They're a great partner. Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered.
2: From 1994 to 2013, Briggs patrolled the bridge and talked down strangers
1: thinking of ending their lives. A conversation that started with asking the person how they
8: are, followed by a very meaningful additional question. What are your plans for tomorrow?
1: Episode 180, 180, we continue our pledge, my pledge, to take a quick break from sports from time to time. To shine the light on real heroes, not quarterbacks or home run hitters or Masters champions. Instead, men and women, like our next guest, who really have stories to tell and to behold. Former California Highway Patrol officer Kevin Briggs is with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, Kevin?
8: I'm great, sir. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm terrific. Thank you for being a part of our show. Let's tell your story. 18 years on the job after... The Army and a stint as a San Quentin prison guard. Is that right, Kevin?
8: Right. I was in the Army for three years, uh, correctional officer for three years, and then with the Highway Patrol, 23 years.
1: Wow. Okay, 23 years with the Highway Patrol. Correct. And somehow, along the way, you became, as the title of your memoir says, the guardian of the bridge, the guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge, your memoir in 2015- how how did this happen? Did this happen organically? Because I know that you have some mental health and mental illness in your family. I know you have some suicide in your family, although you were not old enough to remember your your
8: grandfather. How did this how did this come to be? Really? I out of a fluke joined the highway patrol because a guy I was working with at San Quentin was going out for the highway patrol and didn't want to go alone. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I would have never even gone out for the highway patrol. But Uh, went off through it. I made it. He didn't, unfortunately. Um, Got to working with the patrol. Took me about four or five years to get back to Marin County, where I'm from, and started working in the Marin area of the Highway Patrol. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that a lot of people didn't like working down at the Golden Gate Bridge. And mind you, I had grew up in Marin. I had crossed that bridge hundreds of times because my father had a business in San Francisco. But I had no idea of the amount of suicides and attempted suicides that took place on that bridge. But I found out very fast when I started working down there.
1: Is the Golden Gate
8: Bridge the most prominent suicide location in the United States, Kevin? In the United States, yes, it is. Wow. Yes, it is, unfortunately. And I can tell you from 2021, just last year, there were 25 confirmed suicides and 198 interventions.
1: Roughly how many? I know it's documented. Roughly how many did you end up talking off the bridge to safety over your years in the uh, state patrol?
8: You know, the the press came up with 200 and I hated to discuss numbers because it sounds egotistical, but to me, but I averaged four to six a month uh, for about 10 years. You
1: remember the first time? How did it happen?
8: Yes, I do. Unfortunately, Uh, actually, it turned out well, but it was a young lady uh, over the pedestrian rail standing on what we call the cord. It's like an I-beam. And when I walked up to her, uh, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I thought, she's trespassing. You know, I'm, I'm in police mode here. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, or or you could fall and get hurt. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. I was kind of uh, oblivious to really what was going on. And I think over the time span, which wasn't a long time of speaking with her, I could see the hurt and the pain in her eyes, but still the desire to live but not wanting to the, this pain that she was going through that so many people are going through, they just can't get past it and they see no way out. And that's exactly what she had. So I think really, I think she had pity on me and empathy because I didn't know what I was doing. And I was scared if she jumps, am I responsible? Uh, you know, I, I was a mess too. So, uh, I learned very quickly, you know, I got to get some training. You weren't trained. I was not. It was terrible to to put somebody out there who's untrained. Not only was it bad for me, but it was, of course, bad for the folks I'm speaking to. It has since changed. It's getting better.
1: Your grandfather, as I mentioned, died of suicide. Mental illness is not something new to you, but that's coincidental here. What about your personality, Kevin? I've read a lot about you. What about your personality? What about your makeup? What about the way Kevin Briggs is wired made you really the perfect piece to help people over those
8: years? I think a lot of what's happened to me uh, in the army, when I was just 20 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer. It uh, hit me hard, it was a long recovery. It was testicular cancer. So to me, it was, it was. I was ashamed and embarrassed. Of course, I had nothing to do with it, but that's how I felt. So I had multiple surgeries and chemotherapy to get through this cancer. Uh, a lot of different things. My My mother died of cancer at age 49 and I was around 27 at the time, watched her die right in front of me um, over the course of a year. And I closed her eyes. You know, these tragic things that happen. I got three stents in my heart. And it, I mean, just bad cholesterol, this, this type A conservative guy that holds everything in that doesn't want to show a weakness. And, and of course, diagnosed with depression. And then I I had some abuse when I was very, very, very young, uh, 10 years old or so by a neighbor that, you know, I'm still just trying to come out and talk about, but it was, it was very, very brutal over a long time. Mm. And I'm doing some things about that now.
1: Four to six times a month, you approximate during your times on the patrol, you went to that bridge and tried to talk somebody down. Uh, I know that there were a couple of tragedies, a couple of results that ended in tragedy. We'll talk about those here in a moment. But it's also kind of counterintuitive uh, to the normal kind of jumping into action that a police officer would do day to day. You can't do that in these types of extreme circumstances. Kind of share with our listeners the kind of mindset and, and physical restraint that you have to have. In these situations
8: so as most folks probably know we are taught to go in and handle a situation calm the chaos that's what we're trained to do in these types of situations you want to be a lot gentler now i say that always keeping officer safety in mind you never know when you may have to react when things happen but uh, take from take my cases no one that i ever dealt with had a weapon on them. Um, You're always keeping that in mind. But I found what worked best for me and what I teach now when I do my presentations is to walk up to folks and I just raise my right hand and go, hi, I'm Kevin. Is it okay if I come and come up and talk with you for a while? I want to get their permission to empower them. And I think that starts it off on a really good note because they're not expecting that. They're expecting law enforcement to come up and grab them. And I will tell you, I don't grab folks. I want them to come back. Over that rail, if they're over the rail, come back over that rail on their own, because I think it takes so much courage to go over that rail in the first place. Imagine the amount of courage that it takes to come back over that rail. And if they can do that on their own, then I think their chances of survival long term is much better.
1: Yeah. The key is listening. You did a lot more listening than talking in those 200 examples of people coming off that bridge.
8: Absolutely. I tell folks, listen to understand, not to fix. Explain and that. that's tough, especially for us guys. We're always yeah. trying to fix things. You come up with a problem, you know, we're going to mend the fence. We're going to fix the sink. Well, we try to do that with our loved ones and friends also. When A lot of times they're just looking for somebody to vent to, to listen to. And it took me a long, long time to learn that. But, you know, it really does work and it helps. I love the story, Kevin. I read where you said that
1: in many of these examples, nearly 200 people came off the bridge. You had, I I think, two end in tragedy over all those years. You spoke with those people once they came off the bridge and asked them about your behavior you asked them, did I say the right things? What were what were some of the things that I said that were, were good and positive, that were healthy? What were some of the things that you didn't like that I said and did?
8: Right, the biggest thing, and I would ask them when they came back over, unless there was a lot of people around where yep. you know I want to get them away from them, but I would say, what did I do that helped the situation? And what did I do that wasn't so good? Yep. So I learned more about myself. But the biggest thing I found out was listening like we talked about that's what people were looking for. We're not going to be able to fix things up there. this is a, a hideous place to conduct a negotiation. It's cold it's very windy there's a lot of noise it's brutal. but to simply listen it doesn't sound like a miracle worker thing you know to do mm-hmm. but it does to really listen to someone and to give them your full attention. I'm not looking at my watch. I told folks, I've even turned off my radio. I can't take this noise anymore. I I want this between them and me. The words
1: I understand, not good words, right?
8: Right, right. So I told you a few of the things I've been through, um, but I don't use what I've been through to tell them, well, this is what I've been through and this is what I did because it is about them. You have to remember everything is about them. Maybe they just have two things that they've been through, but they've been absolutely brutal to them. So. I don't compare situations unless they talk about it or they want to talk about it. You know, if they said something like, well, you don't know what it's like to have cancer. Well, I did. And we can talk about that if you want and how crappy that was. That builds rapport. And that's what we're trying to do is build that rapport and then to get that change of behavior, but based on honesty and truth.
1: Was there a common thread, Kevin, uh, amongst the two that you lost? You write a lot and talk a lot about Jason Garber. I think that's the name. I hope I have that name correct. Correct. Um, You've actually stayed somewhat in touch, long distance, somewhat in touch with his father from New Jersey.
8: Yes. Um, Very nice man. Uh, It was a a brutal conversation we had the night when Jason passed. We had been speaking to him for about an hour and a half or so, an hour. And then he, he went and he leapt off the bridge and passed away. And we actually had another man jump at that same time uh, that was at the north end of the bridge. We were in the middle of the bridge. But uh, Jason being from New Jersey, I wanted to to call his parents and tell them he had given us everything about him. And Jason was just a genius. He was so pleasant to talk to, well versed in many categories of of speech. But I had everything about him. So I wanted to call his parents because I knew the coroner would not do that until they positively identified him even though we did have the body. So I spoke with him that night and it was it was terrible. Of course, you're you're calling in to tell parents that their son has passed away. But uh, what really gets me, and it'll probably get me now, is that next day, Mr. Garber said, all right, we're, we're, I'm gonna call you tomorrow. And I said, yes, sir. So of course I had a crappy evening that night, kept replaying in my mind, Lord. what could we have done better? Yes. Um, and most of the time you can't, It's it's those folks who make that decision. But the next day I go into the office and here's a phone call for me. And I'm thinking it's Mr. Garber again. and I'm trying to get emotionally set up for this, but uh, I answer the phone and it's not, it's their family rabbi. And he starts talking to me a bit and he goes, Kevin, do you know why I called you? I'm on, no, sir. He goes, the family is worried about you. Wow. He goes, they lost their son, but they're worried about me. Wow. And I I was a mess. I was just a mess. I go, wow.
1: Was Jason the first that you had lost? Second. He was the second. Okay. Yes. Okay.
8: Continue. Yes. I All had right. seen multiple others for, for other officers who were talking to folks. But this was, you know, as far as me speaking to someone, my second individual. Okay.
1: Kevin, what were those 20 years like on those nights that you'd go home after, you know, as we said, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 of these just about everyone came off of that uh after that golden gate bridge after your discussions and after your listening uh what were those nights like did you become numb to it would become kind of standard procedure ish and how did you deal with looking at yourself in the mirror and and being a happy guy
8: you know, it was great when someone would come back over that rail. It, it really was. It's a great feeling. But I also know that they did it. You know, it was them, that individual who decided to come back over the rail. So if I or one of the folks that I work with, because, of course, there's other people doing this type of work, did this. I go, this is also what I would use when we would lose somebody, when I would talk to officers if they lost someone. Hey, I want you to think about all the people you helped. And I I, for me, I don't use the word saved. I didn't rush into a burning building or something. So I used the word helped. And I said, look how many people you've helped. I go, if you're up here long enough, you are going to lose someone. Unfortunately, it's just the way it is. Mm. But I want you to think about how many you helped. And if we can get to someone over that rail, most of the time they will come back over. Mm. They're looking for somebody to listen who, who is you know true of heart.
1: How about remaining in contact with any of these? I, I think I read where you've had a speaking engagement with one of the men that you were able to help off that bridge? Is he the only one that you've remained in contact with or are there others?
8: Uh, Kevin Berthea is his name. So we have me, Kevin Briggs and Kevin Berthea. It gets confused all the time, but he's African-American. So (laughs) we deviate there. Okay. Um, Yes. He, he was over the rail and there's a kind of a famous picture out about with, with him. It's taken out in the Bay by a helicopter. It's one of the only ones that have ever been like that on that bridge But uh, we get together and we do speak. We do present together and it's a lot of fun. He's a very neat guy to talk to uh, because we make it about the audience and what can we tell them? His is very emotional. Mine has some emotions, my presentation, but it's also how do we have a conversation with someone? What are we looking for? Mm -hmm. So together we cross a lot of barriers and I think we're, we're helping folks.
1: How long do these chats typically take with them out there?
8: Anywhere from 20 minutes, the longest one I had was uh, right around eight hours. So it was long. Hold on.
1: You were out there for eight hours with somebody
8: considering yes. jumping? Yes. Yes. Oh, my And it was gosh. actually on the other side of the bridge on the west side, which faces going out to Hawaii, which is highly unusual. You have to allow that person the time to process everything, and I want them to come back on their own. So it was the one and only time I ever worked with a sheriff's deputy. Uh, out of Marin County, who was also trained in negotiations. So we would go back and forth. He would talk for a while and I would do backup and then he, and then I would talk and he would do backup. It was long. It was brutally cold. That bridge gets, gets extremely cold at night and windy because there's nothing blocking the wind there. So. How do you handle the looky lose? We stopped them. I get bridge after uh, the the tragedy in nine 11 bridge, hired security guards to come out and they do a wonderful job. A lot of times they'll get there before we do, but. If they're around, uh, we have them hold the pedestrians about 200 feet back from each side of us. And we typically do not stop traffic on the bridge, but we'll put a patrol car in the far lane. And that helps.
1: And the last nine years since your retirement, you retired back in 2013. You remained active in suicide prevention. You speak publicly from time to time. Tell us about Kevin Briggs's life the last nine years. Have they been... They've been a happy nine years, Kevin. I hope so.
8: They have. I retired from the highway patrol uh, to do this professionally, to come out and speak. I was asked to do a TED talk um, up in Vancouver where they have the the TED talk. And I really didn't know what TED talks were too much, but I I learned really fast. So one of my first talks was a TED talk Mm -hmm. and that launched a career into public speaking for me. So I do 25 to 35 talks a year presenting. And when I'm not traveling, I also work a mentor at my local schools. There's 13 schools in my hometown of uh, Novato, California. So I I do that also. I try to stay busy. I'm working on a workbook for corrections right now with a couple of mental health professionals. I'm trying to to do a number of things.
1: You're an amazing guy. So I, I think it would be important to ask you this as we conclude. What would you say to our audience, Kevin, about a, keeping an eye out for friends and family, coworkers who might be struggling. What are we looking for? And B, after you address A, what tact to take? Obviously, listening is the most important word that we can use.
8: So, three things to look out for talk, behavior, and mood. What are they talking about? Are they talking about anything in their life, which is fairly obvious? Are they talking about, you don't have to worry about me? Are they mentioning suicide or the world or this family or my friends are gonna be better off without me? They're feeling like a burden. Has their behavior changed? They used to come out and and go out to the bar or the coffee shop with you a few times a week or a few times a month, and now they just wanna stay inside. Isolation's a big one. Talk behavior and mood. Do they seem depressed? So, of course, not everybody's suicidal, but at least we want to find out, have a conversation. If you're going to have this conversation, have it somewhere where they're comfortable. And I tell ah. folks not in the coffee shop because you're asking them to break down. Who's going to break down in a coffee shop in front of a bunch of people where they are comfortable and normalize their situation you know, let's just say they're getting a divorce. That's a big one. That's a lot of stress. They're getting a divorce. They might be losing their job. They got diagnosed with an illness. They lost a family member. Go through all the different things that you've seen or heard and say, you know what? Anybody going through all that might be thinking about suicide. Have you been thinking about killing yourself? See what they say. See if it's an honest answer. You know, if they are, let's get them some help let's get them to a mental health professional. But simply by being there, I want to let you know that I'm here for you. You can call me 24 hours a day. If I can't pick up right now, I'll get back with you as soon as I can. Whatever you're going through, you do not have to go through alone.
1: And of course, the stigma battle is the biggest one. That's what we've been talking about publicly for years and years, getting rid of this stigma that it's it's shameful, or you should be embarrassed if you're struggling. It's not. It takes a lot of courage to talk, and no one's alone in all of this.
8: Absolutely. Absolutely right.
1: Well, I'm not sure I'm not sure what to say except thank you, because uh, it's been a remarkable journey for you. You've presented families all over the country the greatest gift that anyone can give, a second chance. I admire your work. I admire your story. I'm going to pick up the book from 2015. Now that I'm aware of the Kevin Briggs story, and I wish you and your family nothing but health and success along the way. Thanks for being with us on Mitch Unfiltered.
8: Well, thank you very much, Mitch. Absolute pleasure to be here.
1: We are way past due for a visit from Zeke's President Dan Black on Unfiltered. Hey, Dan, how are you? How's Zeke's Pizza doing?
8: I'm
9: doing good, Mitch, and we're having fun at Zeke's.
1: I know you are. Seems like fun stuff is happening every day. I understand Mark Few. Has a new place for pizza and hopefully not too much beer in Spokane.
9: He does have a new place. He's looking forward to seeing you in the bar, or maybe it's the alley. I don't know.
1: How was the opening in Spokane?
9: It was really fun. It went really well. It was really busy. We were packed out before the games, and so it exceeded our expectations. And feels good to have planted a flag in a new market.
1: And Mill Creek. Is on the way. Is that right?
9: Yep. Mel Creek's the next opening and it's on track for March second right now. So we're excited about that too.
1: You know what I loved? I love the cheat codes, the Zeke's Pizza cheat codes for the Super Bowl. The Levy family participated. I'm assuming that was a really good February day for you guys.
9: Super Bowl is great and we love the cheat codes too. In fact, we love them so much. We've just decided to keep them rolling up until March Madness, which we'll come out with some more codes
1: then. So what were the discounts on the pizza and beer, Dan?
9: Well, this this round we did $4 off a large, and we really promoted the beer. We got $5 off with a four-pack of Hop Tropic and some other beers. And so we'll probably do something similar, but we'll freshen them up uh, for March Madness. And also want to make sure that we get in on your pool for some prizes and oh. stuff like that. So that'll be fun.
1: Oh, you will. Hey, Dan, before you go, spotlight one of your Northwest seasonal beers for us.
9: Yeah, I'm drinking Flannel Blizzard right now. That's our winter ski beer, so uh, we do it every winter at this time, and it's the only time of year you can get it. Aslan out of Bellingham brews it for us. They're one of the best breweries in the Northwest, and it's super easy drinking Canadian lager, so, you know, you can do more than one and be fine.
1: There's always good things happening at Zeke's Pizza. We love them as a partner. They've been great to me from the radio days all the way to the podcast days. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. The owner of Fireside Home Solutions, J-Dub, John Waterstrat. Welcome back to the show, John.
7: Thanks, Mitch. Great to be back with you.
1: John, the pandemic, the shipping challenges that come along between fireplaces and garage doors, which you do so well, The Seahawks, the Huskies, it's been a tough go recently, J-Dub.
7: It has been a tough go, and I probably speak for some of those sports fans out there. It's been a rough year. (laughs) That's our stress reliever, I think, in the Northwest to see those Seahawks do really well and my beloved UW Huskies. But uh, hey, we're getting through. We're managing through.
1: For me, the fireplace unit, the garage doors, one thing, you've got great ones. Your competitors have great ones. The difference to me is in the process and service, and I know because I'm a customer. People have no idea. Walk us through what happens after someone decides that they want a new fireplace and they call the Fireside Home Solutions team.
7: Yeah, we just talked a little bit about the stress, right? Sports have been tough, pandemic's been tough, and and we really believe in this stress-free buying experience. And and again, you pick your product out, and what we wanna do is just like what we did with you guys is we wanna send somebody out there, an expert to walk you through the process. Let's make sure everything's gonna fit. Make sure you guys have your questions answered. Instead of having an installer there that doesn't quite know what to do, we don't have good expectations, and get that stress-free buying experience. And again, make sure that they can do their work and you can get what you want.
6: We
1: absolutely love our new patio and setup. What's the current time frame that the pandemic has thrown at you guys for garage doors and fireplace units?
7: Uh, We talked about this in the past. Please talk to your sales rep about what we have in stock. If you need something fast, we're going to have things in stock, both fireplaces and garage doors. Other products, if you're patient and you really want something, we have things that are taken four weeks, sometimes eight weeks. And you wouldn't believe this. We actually have some garage doors that are taken anywhere between nine and ten months. Wow.
1: That's unbelievable. So patience is truly a virtue. As I said, we're a great customer. We love them. They're the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition and an awesome partner of Mitch Unfiltered.
9: Unfiltered.
1: Episode 180, Other Stuff segment, Hot Shots. Got three interviews in the books. Hope you enjoyed them. Yes. I was
0: listening to the interview with the guy who was talking about Coach K. Was it Ian? Ian
1: O'Connor, That's the best-selling right. author, who's got the new Coach K book out. Yes, because as you know, I'm a huge. He was on episode 179. Everybody, listen, go.
0: I've told you I'm a huge Duke fan, and people are probably like, well, "Why would you be a Duke? Are fan? Are you still a huge Duke fan? I, I don't. I'm like not. You a- care. Well, I I enjoy watching them, but I mean, I was, you know, during my high school years, it was the the Lynn Nance era at the University of Washington. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so it was like, all my like I had a friend who loved Arizona, a friend who loved, you just had to pick a team. And when I saw Quinn Snyder steal the ball for Mercer Island and dunk on Issaquah to knock them out of the playoffs, I thought, who's this Mercer Island puke and why is he going to Duke? How does that happen? How does that how does a kid from Mercer Island I thought that get to Quinn Snyder
1: missed a couple of free throws in a big state tournament game. Am I wrong about that? It wasn't against Issaquah. I, I think Issaquah was on the yeah. bubble. I think there's a legendary game from oh, really? his past where he may have missed a free throw or two. Maybe. But I may be making that up. So I anyway, so you liked Duke because Quinn Snyder was on Duke. I used to watch their games and be like, there's no way a kid from Mercer Island is gonna play for Duke. I play thought he started. <laughs> I thought that the Quinn Snyder part of the Ian O'Connor interview from episode 179 yeah. was actually fascinating to hear about the complicated relationship between Sheshevsky yeah. and Quinn Snyder that he was almost Shevshevsky was almost threatened a little bit by the intelli- the basketball intelligence, the basketball Crazy. IQ of of Quinn Snyder. O'Connor called him a basketball genius. Mm. And so they had they had an incredible relationship, and he was harder. He was really hard on Quinn Snyder as a player hmm. and then a little bit as a coach. So I thought that was very, very interesting. I mean, wasn't Quinn Snyder the hottest college coach in the world? Was he at Missouri? Is that right? He was at Missouri. He had some problems. He right. made some mistakes at Missouri. But before the problems, couldn't he have basically he was hot. school? He was hot, right? Well, you know what he was on? Well, it's a long time ago anyway, but he was maybe on pace to become... Coach K's successor. Oh, one
0: wow. Interesting. That
1: makes sense. He right? was mentioned back then because we've been talking about Coach K retiring for like 20 years. Yeah. he just stayed a lo- around a lot longer than we thought. Yeah. But there was once a time that people thought, okay, Coach K retires. And, and he went through some health problems. We talked about it in the interview with mm-hmm. O'Connor. He went through a stage of his life where he might, he, he was thinking about quitting 15 years ago. Wow. And yeah, Quinn Snyder, Mercer Island zone could have been the Duke. But now he's the head coach of the Utah Jazz. <laughs> he's like the crazy. NBA coach of the year.
0: He must be a savant because he managed to work himself he's, into yeah. an NBA job out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. Not out of nowhere, but you yeah. know what I'm saying. Like yeah. he, he fell and then he got back up. Anyway, yeah. I, I love Coach K. And I, I was going to ask you, it's, I guess it's stumped the Bandish, but you could probably do this in your sleep. I kind of have a Stump love, the Band thing too. Oh, good. Yeah. You love college basketball. I lot, love but. college basketball. So I, I I wanted to see who was on the Mount Rushmore of college. Bayheim, Bayheim, Bayheim and Bayheim. <laughs> yeah, you just missed it. Yeah, the that. zone. We love the zone. Yeah. He's on the Squawk Mountain of college basketballs, which is up in Issaquah. I don't know if okay. you know where that is, but it's <laughs> okay. something at okay. least, right? So I, I just typed in Mount Rushmore College, and I, I saw Dick Vitale put out a list. And we all trust Dick, I guess, right? He knows we love Scott Dick Vitale,
1: baby. So,
0: But he did his list during the time that he covered his first game, which was in 1979, which was in his first game. So just know that John Wooden, I think, retired in 75. Well, John anyway.
1: Wooden would be... Yeah, his would lot, have like two spots. That's right. right. Yeah, so it, you're ta- right. so you're taking John Wooden out of it, and you're asking me who Vital put on the. Uh, that's what I'm asking. Who's on the Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore of coaches. Minus well, John the first guy that we know Vital loves is Robert Montgomery Knight, baby. the you general. Are, you are correct. Yeah, he loves Bobby Knight, so he would be on the list. Coach K would be on the list. Okay, Dean Smith would be on the list. You're correct. I don't know who the fourth one would be. Roy Williams. Uh, yeah? I like Roy Williams. I like Roy Williams. I don't know that I like him as one of the four best coaches of the last what are we doing? 40 years? Yeah. Okay. Because then you turn to me and say then who? I think I'd put John Thompson on there before I'd put Roy Williams on. But don't you look at national championships? I mean, how many did yeah. Thompson win? One? I thought he won more than one. Maybe, I don't know. I just How about How about how about Calhoun? Right. Pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think you can make a case. I mean, you have to take it up with Dick Vitale. I'm not going to fight well, his battle for him. No, no. He's, <laughs> he, he's got enough on his plate than to hear from me about his Mount Rushmore coaches. Didn't Roy? I, I, I like Roy Williams. I think he was a great coach at Kansas. I don't think he ever won it at Kansas. Don't think he won the national championship at Kansas? Or am I wrong about I, that? I don't know. I, I, and then he came and he won it at North Carolina. He yeah. did a great job. I like Roy Williams a lot. I'm not going to... Argue about that, but I, <laughs> I I think that John Thompson, when you consider the 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 broad scope of what he meant to the world of college basketball, yeah, and minority coaches and what he meant at Georgetown, I, okay, I have a hard time thinking thinking higher of Roy Williams than I do of John Thompson.
0: Now, if, if Roy Williams won it at two different schools, that might be a different story, right? I mean, that's pretty impressive. I
1: may be wrong. Maybe he won it at Kansas. I don't think he did. I know he lo- I know he lost to at Kansas. Oh, you do? Yeah. Who's that? He lost to James Arthur Bayheim. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Bayheim, 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 and Bayheim. All right. Yes. Anyway, I just wanted to see what. Do you what want, you want my stump to ban? Mine's not really a stump the band. I'll come back to it. Okay. What? what? It's not really. Make it one. It's not my top other stuff thing. I want to know if Russell Wilson is still the quarterback of the Seahawks <laughs> and why we care so much about whether he's got. Seahawks representation on profile media on on profile pages of social media. Yeah. Why is that so important? Well, I mean, I'm why gonna, should I care about this?
0: I I don't know if, if my wife's profile picture on Facebook and she cropped me out of it or said she's single. <laughs> I might give a crap. I mean, I don't know. Does that mean nothing? Well, that he's no longer like on. nothing. Seahawk on his. He's Mr. Your Seahawk. Wife,
1: Your wife saying single would be the same as Russell Wilson saying free agent football player. That's okay. not what he did. He merely had a picture of him and his dad, I think. Replaced him in a Seahawks uniform well, or something. It, it says on. professional Real, athlete. Do it we does. really
0: think that he's going to do that? Is that what he's going to do? It says Is professional athlete, not Seahawk anymore. That's not nothing. I don't know. Just okay. Why would you change a professional athlete? If, if, okay, right. if, if my wife's relationship status said N.A., It doesn't say yes or no, but you have to I just
1: hate that that's where
0: we are. Please tell me you remember me saying this is the season of that. Yeah, you said that. Thank you very much. As soon as the Seahawks season ends, here we go. We're going to analyze every single thing Russell Wilson does on social media.
1: Aaron Rodgers wants $50 million a year. Would you give it to him? You mean the newly single Aaron Rodgers? The newly who was her? What was her name? Shailene? Shailene Shailene something something. or other. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs)
0: that's right. That must be her official last name. I can't remember.
1: Aaron Rodgers wants fifty million dollars a season, and people are killing him over that.
0: What's he making? Or what did he make this power? Like what's? I think he's worth fifty million dollars a year. That's
1: what I think. Really? Whatever he was making, he's still the best quarterback in the NFL. He's still the MVP of the NFL. Let's say he was making thirty-five. Let's make. He should be making more. When he signs his new contract, whenever that is... Now, I'm not saying I'd give him $50 million a year over 10 years. Right. But if course. you're saying, hey, you're, you're going to sign Aaron Rodgers to, let's say, a two-year contract extension, is it outrageous for him to want $100 million over those two years based on what Patrick Mahomes and all these guys are making? Absolutely not. These people, they're taking... And I know there's a political thing, and there's the, you know, the, the, the whole vaccine, Aaron, the vaccine if thing. If you just I take know. that out
0: and look at football...
1: Aaron Rodgers deserves $50 million wow. a year over the next couple years. But it's, okay? a cap, it's, it's not a, outrageous. It's not, but it's a cap league.
0: I mean... Yeah, it is. That's part of it. If it's, if of it's Major League Baseball, you of go, course. give him whatever the hell he wants, of right? Of course, I get it. Yeah, so I think that might be where the trepidation comes in for some people.
1: No, I don't think so. You don't so. think so? I think people are taking him to task because he wants $50 million a year, not because of the cap.
0: Because they just think he's just not worth it. And,
1: and they think he's obnoxious self-centered he's got a little Phil Mickelson in him whatever and I and look I don't agree with his stance on the vaccinations and all that stuff that went along with it but he looks to my eye to be the best quarterback in the NFL he looks good and if the going rate is 50 million a year
0: then the going rate's 50
1: million dollars a year
0: Tom Brady helped all those old quarterbacks out by winning a Super Bowl at what 44 for how it? it was yeah I mean it's like if he just ruined it for all the owners. Because he can't say he's too old anymore because we just saw Tom Brady the MVP of the league. That's gosh, right, in mid-40s. He's the MVP so. of the league. The first comedian to get a Netflix Netflix special. You probably have no idea. I had no idea. I happened to see this for a reason. You know the name Russell Peters? No. Nobody does. <laughs> okay, he just recently got married. He's this insanely popular, popular Canadian comic whose net worth is $75 million, and you've never heard of the guy. In really? Two, in 2007, he was the first comedian to sell out Toronto's Air Canada Center, selling more than 16,000 tickets in two days for the show. And nobody knows who the hell Russell Peters is. No idea. It's crazy. Like no idea. I, I, I've never. I, I. He just got married, is why I'm bringing it up. Congratulations to him. Why are we bringing him up? It's been. I'm just curious if you knew who he was. I thought you might bring up
1: John Mullaney.
0: Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I haven't. Well, I just got bad. I've been offline. I had to. I had to get through Cheer. Season two of Cheer was. <laughs> forget it. I mean, it was, I can't wait for season three. It was awesome. So no, I haven't gotten to it yet. Fantastic.
1: And I don't know anything about the guy. Well,
0: my He's, wife's. That's who she would leave me for. At, at 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 one point, big 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 fan of his. She see, loves. See, I don't
1: him. even know where. I mean, he was a writer on Saturday Night. I don't know how he became such a big star, and that we're chronicling his his uh, addictions and his well, he left sobriety his and now he's with uh yeah isn't he with Aaron Rodgers ex-girlfriend or something I don't know he's got a, just had a baby he just had a baby but he he left his
0: wife which my kind of out of nowhere and so my now my wife's kind of but out he's on been
1: him. he's been really troubled in terms of
0: drugs right yeah he had some addiction issues and
1: just and I have not watched all of Saturday Night Live but I made a point to watch the YouTube of his opening dialogue whatever you call it yeah. monologue. monologue I guess monologue, it would yeah. be the opening monologue You're going to love it. He's very funny. Very self-deprecating. Talks about rehab. Talks about his addiction. mm -hmm. Jokes about it. I mean, just... I thought it was fantastic. He's insanely funny. Like, I, I, I don't know that he is. It, I don't really know that he is.
0: I, I love his stand-up. I mean, I, I'm not his biggest fan, but I think his yeah. stand-up is smart, and his deliverance is go his watch delivery's the, funny. Go
1: watch Saturday Night Live's opening monologue okay. with John Mulay. It's sitting okay. on my DVR. I'll get to it. Go watch it and tell me how you like it. Doctors at a New
0: York hospital said a man who came in complaining of difficulty breathing through his right nostril was found to have a tooth growing in his nasal cavity. What? The ectopic tooth, a term for a tooth growing in an abnormal place, was measured at about half inch long. The surgeons say they removed the tooth without complications, and the man reported during a follow-up visit three months after the procedure that he was able to breathe normally through both nostrils. Now, it, I'm no doctor, but <laughs> am I supposed to ring the bell on this? You may, <laughs> you, you may want to at least ask your doctor if there's anything going on. You know, I mean, that's it, not. It nice. might just
1: be worth a question. I thought you'd come back nice from Disneyland. <laughs> The magic king. I'm trying to help you out
0: here. You don't know what's going on in there, all right? At least ask. Now you know that that's really there. You go.
1: Did you have (laughs) this? Was all a setup to ask me if I have a tooth growing in my nose?
0: One, I mean, holy Toledo. Did you have a nice, fantastic Tuesday? We all caught up in the Tuesday thing. I don't know what that is. 2:22:22. Oh yeah,
1: I know about it, but well, I don't know.
0: Well, there was a couple that had a really cool one. A baby was born. Yeah. At 2:22 a.m. Uh-huh. On 2:22:22. Uh-huh. In delivery room two. Come on, is that right? I I I don't want to know if it's true or not. It, the UPI had it. And I guess they can be trusted. <laughs> is that possible? They it, it would have been weird if they just did the 2:20 in room two as well, though. Come on, that can't be true. Anyway, congratulations to them. Monday Night Football
1: has a new color commentator. See, I've been offline. You got to help me. Monday Night Football is now welcoming Troy Aikman to the booth. I did see that. Yes, yeah, sorry that that he will saw. make. Eighteen to twenty uh, million dollars a year doing Monday Night Football for ESPN. Now you're sort of chuckling when you read that. If the money is, I guess all these guys have to, now Tony Romo to thank because he got that right. huge CBS deal. Now all the guys want it.
0: And my friend who trained him, don't do forget. we like
1: Troy Aikman enough to want him on Monday Night Football at twenty million dollars a year?
0: <laughs> See, I, I is just, he that good? Well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, are any I of them? Know. Are no. any of them worth it? No. Like, are they bringing that much to the table? No. And by the way, Monday Night Football, the, the same, the same you know, game that also wants you to watch Peyton Manning sit there and Correct. talk shit with his brother for the game. So why even spend any well, money? That's the
1: guy they want. They want Peyton right. Manning to do it and he won't do it. Yeah. But they got Troy Aikman and they gave him it's Tony crazy. Romo money. And so now Fox and Joe Buck and their number one team, they're out of a guy. Right. And you know who they set their sights on? I guess they did. And so did Amazon. They all tried to get Sean McVay, the young head coach of the Rams, to leave the sidelines after winning the Super Bowl and go be a broadcaster. That's how much money's in play. He was wow. offered by Amazon 100 million dollars <laughs> over what? like 4 years to be beca- you know that Amazon's going to have the oh, Thursday yeah. night game. Yeah, we talked about it. And it looks like that Al Michaels is going to be the the play-by-play guy. He's leaving NBC. What's Collinsworth doing? He's staying. Chris worth he's gonna stay at <laughs> he's NBC. He's staying. He's he's under contract with NBC. Al right. Michaels is done. It looks wow. like that Al Michaels is going to Thursday Night Football at Amazon, and Amazon made a play to try to take. Since when did I thought that coaches <laughs> they retire and then they get a uh, they get a TV job. They don't like retire to get a TV <laughs> job. Right. Well, I was gonna ask you what a hundred million. And so now that the rumor is he went back to the Rams after winning the Super Bowl and said. I don't know, maybe I have to leave to go be on uh, Amazon. Yeah. And they went from $8 million salary <laughs> yeah. to $18 million salary. So now he's got a new deal with the LA Rams. Of course he does. Of course but, he does. But again, if I'm
0: him, I, I mean, coaching, I've we've all heard stories about... It's a twenty-four
1: hour a day. Yes,
0: you're sleeping in your office. You get the th- easiest job oh. in the world
1: is Monday night football or one game a Thursday week. night have, for him. But Thursday yeah. night traveling around the country, expensing every meal. You million. don't have to even spend your
0: money right. Private, private plane. Oh, oh God, do
1: a game and it's twenty million. Right, sit there and talk crap about oh, football. Come on, who needs
0: it? <laughs> who needs coaching? Who needs the day-to-day grind? By the way, for less money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs it? Why? Why? Why would you do it? Tony Romo changed
1: everything. Tony he did. Romo. Well, changed I was gonna
0: everything. ask. I wonder what Aikman made at the height of his Cowboy money a year. It wasn't eighteen. Nothing. Four. Okay. Right. I mean, <laughs> who knew that you could make
1: this much? This more? much money. Yeah. Craziness.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you're, I was going to tell you real quick. Your buddy Gene Simmons finally found someone to snatch up that house that was his dream home in, in Las Vegas, Vegas. that yeah. he never
1: that they never moved until into until his
0: family realized it was hot there. <laughs> so he built that eleven thousand square right. foot house and, yeah. in the perfect location. It's got sparkling views of the Strip and the desert. And you could take it all in from this enormous pool. But like I said, it does get hot. And the the fire breather, as he's known, decided he's out. So he got $13.5 million for his house he never lived in.
1: You know that I'm a big believer in second chances? Yes. You know that I'm a big believer that everybody should be afforded the opportunities that I got after the mistakes that I made? Yep. I don't know about former Baylor head coach, Art Bryles. Okay. Do you remember what happened at Baylor on his watch? No, I don't think so even the the hardiest of second chance people when you're up there <sighs> former Baylor head coach art Bryles. you say head coach basketball or football he was the football coach okay. when like uh Robert Griffin the third you know when, sure. when Baylor was was coming on like gangbusters yeah but he was also the head coach when there were 50 sexual assaults by his players that he, he looked the other way. You said 50? 50, 5-0? 50, 52, to oh be exact.
0: Gosh, okay. Allegedly,
1: 52 rapes by Baylor football players that he turned a blind eye to and didn't, didn't uh, do anything about. He's got a new coaching job. He's the offensive coordinator at Grambling State. So he's been given his second chance. That's, and now he's going to work his way up the coaching rank and, rankings again.
0: I don't know. That's a big blind eye. I mean, that's... It's a huge blind if eye. You
1: turn a, if you turn a blind eye to one... 50, 52. Yeah. Wow. Alleged sexual assaults by Baylor football players on Art Briles's watch while at Baylor. He ended up out of a job. And now, after a little bit of time away, he's being given, afforded, a second chance. Well, second opportunity.
0: Sounds like... Good people, landed on their feet. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ.
1: My, uh, my little trivia. I don't know that it's a stump the band because you don't, there's like seven answers, but okay. I just I find this interesting. Do you know the name DeMar DeRozan?
0: I do because of USC. I know he's from Compton. He played at USC against the Huskies.
1: Is he from Compton? Yeah.
0: All right, he was a good player at USC. Sure, he could jump out of the gym, I remember. He was a
1: terrific player for... Right now? The Toronto Raptors. Oh, I'm not sure. I think he was at San Antonio. Now I think he's with Chicago making a lot of money. He's an NBA All-Star, but his name is De- he's DeMar DeRozan.
0: I was happy to be stuck in a in a hotel bar watching All-Star Weekend because I had nothing to do. And so he I,
1: probably was on there, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah he was doing something. But yeah, yeah, I watched almost all of it. So yeah, okay. he's having a great year from what I was told.
1: So on Saturday night in a loss to Memphis, and the reason I people are like, why are you bringing up DeMar DeRozan? Well, I'm going to tell you. I, I'm glad you asked. Uh, on Saturday, in a game against ja- in a game against Memphis, Ja Morant, um, Demar Derozan only scored thirty one points. Oh, okay. Which means his streak of eight consecutive games of scoring thirty five or more oh, impressive was now over. Okay. And I was stunned when I read the article that he becomes the seventh player. Only seven players in the history of the NBA.
0: Six before him.
1: Six before There's him. Been some good ones. Had scored 35 points in eight consecutive NBA games. Would you like to take a shot, on my version of Stump the Band, at whom, who those names might be? Michael Jordan. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Not on there. Steph Curry. Not on there. LeBron James. By the, by the way, how is Steph Curry I, not on there? How is how is Kareem abdul Jabbar? I don't know. I hope I got this right. I'm wasting <laughs> a lot of people's time. Carl yeah. Malone. Not on never. there.
0: See, I, don't you feel like 30s kind of the, 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 the line? 35 and more. That, that, that seems like a really Eight good game. Eight consecutive games okay. of
1: 35 and more. Kobe Bryant. Did I say Kobe? Kobe's on there.
0: Yeah, Klay Thompson.
1: Okay, or, okay. These,
0: these guys are just shooting like crazy these days. Scoring
1: how like do crazy. you not come up with the, very, the first name that... 1,000, no, no, sorry, 999 people out of <laughs> yeah. 1,000, the yeah. first name they'd come up with, you haven't even brought up in your first five guesses. He he would be the very first name that 999 out of 1,000 oh, NBA. Vinny Del Negro. No. The guy that scored 100 in a game? Yeah, that, that guy. <laughs> okay, gotcha. That guy. <laughs> I should have gone
0: with him first, yeah. So
1: here are the seven, I just find this funny. Okay. Here are the seven names of NBA historic players that have scored 35 points. Or more okay. in eight consecutive games. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, James Harden. I don't love. Yeah. Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. Elgin Baylor, and DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> 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 Which name does not belong? Yeah. I'm sorry to DeMar DeRozan fans if you're listening. Yeah. Come he's on. having
0: like a, a breakout year though, right? I mean, he's been a pretty good player. That's but... a pretty hefty list. <laughs> it is. See, I was I thought I was gonna one of my guesses was gonna be Bernard King. Oh! Remember, he came out of nowhere and like just was a scoring machine. I remember.
1: I'm old enough to remember Bernard King in college.
0: Wow, you are old.
1: (laughs) I remember the Knicks. He He was an All American college player at the University of Tennessee. Okay, and he there was another player there with him, Ernie Grunfeld. That's right. Yeah. In the Ernie and Bernie or the Bernie and Ernie show at yep. Tennessee, yes, he was a prolific scorer, and he would like score fifty a game, and then he'd blow out his knee right. and miss like four years, and then come back. <laughs> right, but and he he'd have to change his game because he
0: couldn't jump anymore. Uh, but he could shoot the hell out of the ball. He's <laughs> fading away. It was weird. Yes, anyway, not Bernard King. Yes, all right.
1: That's I got it. I got I only have one more, but I'll let you go. I got four RIPS. Okay, I four. If-
0: Okay, so a friend of mine and former friend of the T-Man show, Donnie Davis, this was all over TMZ, I don't know if you saw this, No, was found dead past Tuesday in his room at Resorts mm-hmm. World in Las Vegas, Sorry to hear that. and foul play is suspected.
1: Right, I know, I saw it. Somebody like, killed Donnie Davis.
0: Well, they don't know, but they suspect it because the number of people who were in the room, also according to the police report, the, the male who was with him, didn't want to speak to the cops and instead asked for a lawyer. So cops say they had trouble getting information from anyone who's in the room. Anyway, um, Donnie's a little person, and he he went to California. I, I saw him sitting He's pool. a little person? Yeah. So on the show, we called him Donnie the Midget, but I don't think he used that that term oh. anymore. Oh, okay. So he's a little person. He's a little person. I saw a picture of him, and who was the heavyweight champion, the, the, the two brothers? Um, the Klitschkos? One of the Klitschkos and his yeah. girlfriend. And Donny sitting poolside with in a magazine. <laughs> I'm like, how does he weasel himself in? So, I but he, I don't
1: even know who this person is. But he
0: made a name. He he worked with Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus, wow. Seth McFarland, Mariah Carey, Joe Jonas, Kelly Osborne, and Hayden. Oh, Hayden wow. Panettiere. That was the girlfriend of the Klitschko. Anyway, he was also um, worked with Chelsea Handler. He made a name for he just he left us this and is. then yeah. went and got famous. But he left you. He was 43 years old, and I'll tell you an insanely funny about a uh, story about he and I off the air. I, it's a, one of the crazier stories, one of the crazier nights of my life. But I, I don't think it's appropriate to tell it, especially in the wake of him no longer being with us. But okay, yeah, he was a big part of our show. I guess he's not
1: unfiltered anymore. But go ahead.
0: You, <laughs> I'll run it by you, then you let me know what you think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we were
0: talking about earlier. We, we had the, the doctor on to talk about uh, heart aware you know awareness month. Heart, heart health. Or, yes. Heart. Yes. Do you remember the amazing Jonathan in Las Vegas? No. I bet you do he was a he was a magic act slash comedian you'd probably recognize his face the only time I ever saw him is if I stayed in the hotel that he was performing I'd remember the hotel channel I would just leave it on and you'd see little clips of him yeah anyway he's dead after battling heart disease Ooh. for years Jeez. he was 63 years old he died from congestive heart failure yeah at his peak he was making three million a year at his Bally's residency oh. so I, I feel wow. like you'd recognize his face
1: okay Sally Kellerman sure Hot lips. That? Yeah. hot lips from MASH. I never watched MASH.
0: Well, she was Hot Lips in the movie. Oh. She was not Hot Lips in the TV show. She was not? No, that was... What was her name? Swit. L- Loretta Swit. Swit Loretta yeah. Swit played yeah. Hot Lips on the TV show. Anyway, Sally Kellerman, she actually, Star Trek fans loved her because she played Dr. Elizabeth Danner in the original TV series Second Pilot. So anyway, she was also in a bunch of movies. She played Jodie Foster's mom in the 1980s movie called Foxes. She was 84 years old, so rest in peace. Yeah. This one hit right after I got home, I feel like, from your house the last time we talked. Oh. Ivan Reitman. Well, I know that name. Yeah. His big break came with the college fraternity movie called... National Lampoon's Animal House, which he produced. Oh, He directed producer. Bill Murray in... Hollywood producer. I'm yeah, but right then man. he turned into a director. He directed Bill Murray in Meatballs. Okay. You ever seen Meatballs about the, the camp? Yeah, I don't think so. It's not great. It, 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 <laughs> it, it I want to love it like I do all I those. Know, I know the movie. I don't it doesn't I hold up. It. It's not great. Okay. But then he, in 1981, Stripes, he directed Bill Murray again. Oh, Stripes is hilarious. Fantastic. But then he also directed the 1984 hit Ghostbusters. Oh. And then he just skyrocketed. Ghostbusters. it. Okay. He, Stripes, oh, Ghostbusters. Oh. Well, some people did. A, a lot of people a did. A few people liked Stripes it.
1: Stripes was much better than Ghostbusters. Stripes, very underrated classic.
0: The first hour of Stripes is a classic. The weirdness at the end with the RV and Russia or... You, I don't even remember that. Yeah, see, the, 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 the last 30 <laughs> minutes sucks. It's like a different movie. Really weird. Oh, but I
1: it, like Stripes.
0: Stripes is the movie where my mom played it at my third grade birthday. <laughs> and she got a couple phone calls from parents sure in 1985. <laughs> Not happy with the mud wrestling scene. Anyway, he was 75 years old. Rest in peace to Ivan Reitman.
1: Selection Sunday is two weeks, less than two weeks away. Okay. March Madness is coming. Yes. Again, we love March Madness. Did you know that this past Saturday that Gonzaga and Mark Few lost as the number one team in the country? The AP number one team? That's Did you know that? That's when I danced the hardest at my around my living room, yes. St. Mary's, I think, beat them. Okay. Did you know that on that also on that Saturday, number two, Arizona lost? I think they lost to Colorado on Saturday. Didn't see team. that. No. Did you know that number three on Saturday, Auburn lost? <laughs> really? Did you know that number four, Purdue lost? And number five, Kansas lost? And number six, Kentucky lost? Really? Did you know that? No, I the did not. The <laughs> top six teams in the AP top 25 all lost on the same day, first time in the history of college basketball. The same day. Not even same the same day. weekend. No. Saturday. That's All crazy. All six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And you ask the question, how crazy is the tournament going to be this year? Yeah, right. All you need to know is the top six teams lost on the same day. And you throw in number nine, Texas Tech, and you've got seven of the top ten that lost on Saturday, one day alone. Oh, man. It sounds like someone's getting excited for the
0: tournament. Uh, I know. I love it, too. Can't wait. Cannot wait. There you go. That's all I got. That's all I got. I got a few headlines. Sure. Get out of here. Sure. Animal rescuers in India helped a leopard cub seen wandering for at least 48 hours with a plastic jar stuck over its head. Ah. When I first saw the picture of the not so bright cat, I thought for sure it'd be a cougar. I'll give it to Huskies, too. Calm down out there. Firefighters responded to an Australian highway on which a truck lost its load of fish, leaving it covered in fish and oil. Ooh. It's not all bad news, however, though, is the highway has completely lowered its blood pressure. Oh.
5: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A British dog good food. company, Thank you. Work, so, especially yeah. in February. Fish. A, a British good for you. dog food. Well, fish. Beta carrots. A British dog food company is offering more than $6,000 for people to smell dog poop and report their findings to the company. An extra six Gs to smell poop? Man, talk about really stepping in it. Astronomers spotted a meteor in the Colorado <laughs> in the Colorado sky that they say was unusually slow. Seems a little unfair and judgy. How do they know what classes that meteor took in high school? And finally, a naked <laughs> South Carolina man who had a computer mouse lodged in his rectum.
1: What? 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 Was what?
0: A, what? A naked South Carolina man who had a computer mouse lodged in his rectum was God arrested. God, he wasn't from Florida. He was close. Was arrested <laughs> after he allegedly broke into a home and attacked police officers. At first, I didn't understand the computer mouse on the rectum part, and then it clicked.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, hot shot Scott, <laughs> you can catch him at Giggles. Right. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays with two shows nightly. <laughs> right, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, there it is, episode one. 180, 180 of Mitch Unfiltered. Hope you enjoyed it. It's in the books.